0: You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. We
1: are here on the Oz Network to bring you the episode that about three months ago, we said we'll be back next week with Anniversary Month. And as promised, we're back a next week, a couple months down the road. Um, We didn't say which next week we would be. (laughs) We're finally here to start off Anniversary Month, and we are kicking it off with a movie that made my top 50 favorite movies of all time, probably pretty high on it, um, it's a movie we've probably already talked a little bit about during our Star Wars coverage because when you're thinking George Lucas, you're thinking a bunch of teenagers in cars, trying to have sex, uh, some of them with 12-year-old girls. <laughs> this is a Ben Waterworth story, I think. <laughs> uh, and you're thinking Ron Howard. That's what you think about when you think Star Wars, which you probably should. Uh, but this is American Graffiti, 50th anniversary, George Lucas's breakthrough movie, not his first movie, but his breakthrough movie, the movie that made him powerful enough to get something like Star Wars made years later. Um, cast of who's who of the 70s and 80s, and some of them even still now. And then a couple of, I haven't seen them before, but why wasn't this person a bigger bigger thing? And then a cameo from Suzanne Summers. <laughs> With one line, it probably gets more publicity than anybody else who's in this movie. Oh, like, was that actually?
0: Uh, Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay.
1: You didn't realize that was her? Okay.
0: I don't know. I've never seen this movie <laughs> there you before. Go. So I was learning on the go. So there you go. Uh,
1: my name is Colin, and uh, I'll let you feel it. I mean, if you can touch it if you want, I'll let you feel the upholstery.
0: And my name is Ben Cadillac and the Continental Kids, and I'm going to tell them you tried to rape me.
1: <laughs> How did I know that was going to be your opening line?
0: <laughs> you know me too well.
1: Uh, this movie, I've, I've got no idea what your opinions are on this I talked about it multiple times on the show before this is a movie that I think I saw because of my love for Star Wars and really trying to look at like everything else George Lucas ever made and then when I did see it I'm like like wow what a great movie I like I just fell in love with this movie watched it multiple times I did get the chance to see this on the big screen once uh back in I don't know when this would be maybe 2004 2005 something like that uh, the IMAX, this is before IMAX was just in your local multiplex. when IMAX had its own theater or it was just an IMAX screen, uh, they did a thing on like Saturday nights where they would show an old movie. And that's how I was able to see Raiders of the Lost Ark on the big screen the first time. And one of the weeks they had American graffiti. And I remember uh, my brother and sister both coming with me. I don't even think they had seen the movie before, um, but I mean, this is just a movie that's like it's pure fun, but it is so not what you expect of George Lucas this isn't even necessarily what George Lucas wanted to make i mean all it's a simple movie we'll kind of go through i guess some of the behind the scenes stuff which there's some crazy stories about the making of it but if you were to tell somebody anybody in the world do you want to see what George Lucas made just before star wars i don't think anybody pictures this movie
0: yeah i i mean i don't really have any history with it outside of knowing that it exists um if i'm being completely honest um you know obviously i love star wars growing up we've talked about that sort of stuff but I don't think I was ever the type of person who went out of my way to go like, oh, George Lucas, I'm going to watch everything he did. I was aware that he had done other movies. I obviously was aware of his connection to Indiana Jones, but I was probably more of a an actor person like, oh, I want to see this person or recognize that. So it wasn't really on my wheelhouse of something to do with George Lucas. So I don't even ever remember having a conversation with my parents about this movie or like, my mum, this would have been a mum movie. I reckon my mum would have liked this. Um, so, yeah, literally no history. When you said we're going to do this, I'm like, okay, sure. Um, yep. I was a little bit disappointed that there was no graffiti in this movie. feel like it's a bit of av- false advertising, but I guess, you know, whatever it's got to be. But it's, I mean, it's entertaining. Like it's sort of, it's interesting that because we're covering a 50-year-old movie, and this is like legitimately what I used to think of like Happy Days or Greece. Because I Mm. just picture in my mind, they're old movies, so they're set in the time that they're made, right? Yeah. So I always think that Greece was like a 50s movie, that Happy Days was made in the 50s. So like I would have probably watched this and gone, it was made in the 50s. But they're nostalgia films. They're kind of revisiting. This is no different to now, (laughs) how old we are, if we're revisiting the early 2000s. Limp Biscuit. Yeah. Um he's Lincoln Park. Uh, you know, let's go through those. Why are they always the old, the cultural defining things we always talk about? The early 2000s, Limp Biscuit and <laughs> Linkin Park. Like there was more to the early 2000s than those two who are bands. Those,
1: who were those guys in the butterfly song?
0: Oh, come, my lady, come, come, my lady. You're my, you're my f- f- sugar. Yeah, who were they? <laughs> who were they? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm thinking Mandy Moore, Crazy Town, Crazy Town. Who are like? I mean, I, you can't really say Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera because they're still big, but um, I don't know Jennifer Love Hewitt. Uh, <laughs> well,
1: Steps, uh, <laughs> S Club Seven. Uh, <laughs> but like here, here's where I think it's it's so weird that something like this doesn't happen the way it happened then. Because I mean, I'll, I'll I guess briefly describe the reason for this movie being made. George Lucas comes out of film school. Um, he wins a scholarship to basically be on the set of a real movie, which turns out to be this movie that Francis Ford Coppola, probably the only young guy working in Hollywood, has a director's name called The Rain People. They become friends. They form their own company. Easy Rider explodes. Suddenly, there's this new shift in movies and culture, and studios are like, we have all old guys on staff. Where can we get some young directors? Because this is what the kids want to see. George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola basically sell a seven-movie deal to Warner Brothers, which included, by the way, George Lucas's, not Francis Ford Coppola, but George Lucas's Apocalypse Now, and George Lucas's untitled sci-fi Flash Gordon-style film. Uh, <laughs> what have happened to that? But, oh, I, they just canceled it, never yeah. got made. But, Development Hill. But uh, the first movie that was on the slate was George Lucas's uh, first film, THX 1138, which is a bizarre movie, not bizarre for the 70s, bizarre just in terms of <laughs> George Lucas as well. But it is fairly common for what the 70s sci-fi was, you know, darker, a lot more brainy. Uh, But this movie just, the studio has no idea what to do with it. They don't really do anything with it. George Lucas is very jaded. He can't get hired again by Warner Brothers because they hate his guts as he described it. So, Fran Cobla basically says, I think you're a better writer than you are director. Focus on writing. Why don't you write something that is out of your comfort zone? Write something funny. And George Lucas is like, I don't consider myself that funny of a guy. Um, he's like, Well, write something up for kids. And he's like, Well, I was a kid a decade <laughs> ago. <laughs> great, so maybe great I'll reason. write about my experiences growing hey, up. Hey, fun fact I was a kid. That would work. <laughs> you know me so well. Really, when we're, we're joking about like S Club 7 and Crazy Town and which is S Club and 6 now,
0: one of them died recently. So rip.
1: Oh, it's too bad. So they were getting, getting these back these together for a tour, five.
0: and one died. It's, so. it's
1: going to be a countdown. One day there'll be S Club Five, four, three, two, one.
0: S Club, <laughs> S Club One. It's a sad guy sitting on a stage.
1: <laughs> Are you sad, friends? <laughs> but but like that's actually more removed than this movie is. Like I, I, culture shifted so much differently during that. I'd say the fifties through to the nineties where like every decade was completely different. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of joking about what was 20 years ago, when in reality, George Lucas is basically making this nostalgia film at the time he starts developing it, 10 years after he had graduated from high school, really. Uh, Which is so weird to think, because like you said, this is a 70s movie, but it feels like a lifetime Basically, we have bypassed the entire 60s by the time this movie's made. We're on to two separate generations as far as, like, culture goes based on what George Lucas is doing. And, like, it's hard for me to imagine a movie now that is about the nostalgia of 2012. It's Skyfall and London Olympics.
0: It's a fantastic point you make. Um, and one random thing, too, just quickly, I didn't know Donald Pleasance was in THX, uh, what is it, 1138, or however you say it. Um, there you go. Um, but, no, you're right. And I think that's a great point about the cultural shift because even... I would argue, has there ever been a bigger culture shift from the '50s, '60s, '70s? Like that is just such a period of time that if you go back to like the 1940s and before that, it's such a different world. And we all, like, I learn a lot about that through music history about how iconic music was in in changing that. And you know, this is this is where I look at a film like oh, we're doing it later this year, Back to the Future, and it's kind of like, wow, look how things were significant. But even sort of watching this from a '70s perspective, how different this period of time was to the seventies, because even like yeah. jokes aside about 20 years ago, 10 years ago, like, I think for the most part, you can kind of blend the 2000s and the 2010s into each other a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's definitely some differences and there's those cultural shifts, but I feel that the last 20 years haven't had that significant change. Even I like the eighties and nineties kind of are different, but they also sort of blended together. But like, I think of the 80s and the 70s. I think so differently of what that period means. Even through music, you know, you kind of think about how that changed, but it's so interesting. And you've always talked about the 20 year cycle, the general you hit a 20 year mm. patch and that's nostalgia. Look at the wedding singer. What was that, 98, 99? And that was 10 years on from the 80s, you know. And even yeah. then you think to yourself, well, that's only 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, now, like, it's what? Yeah, what do you do for 10 years ago? Like, I mean, it's. <laughs> It's no disrespect to us growing up in these time periods. We're going to be different. And you do meet... I work with people who legitimately are born after 9-11, so they've got to be educated on, you know, the war on terror and kind of, you know, things like that, which we grew up with. It's just part of the parcel. But I just... Yeah, these nostalgia films for the early two... MySpace. Mine. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But, I mean, even you look at the social network, that was, what, 2010? Talking about the early 2000s? I'm going on a tangent here, but I think the thing that I got out of this film is I've I, I'm always a person who is a modern guy. Like I I don't live like for errors. Like I've always said like, Oh, I, the only old movies I watch are going to be this style, this style. I'm not somebody who's going to go back and watch movies of a certain period. It's just what I like, but I do enjoy witnessing cultural moments and seeing what it's like. I used to love talking about that to my mom, to my dad, like, What were the 60s like? What were the 70s like? And you're going to say that to your kids one day. What were these periods like? Because you lived through that. But to see it on film, to see that if we were teenagers in that period, you're cruising up and down the street, you know, picking up 12-year-olds. It sounds like a dream to me. (laughs) Um, But, like, things like that, which now you look at that and go, fuck, that's dumb. But in 30 years' time, 40 years' time, are people going to look back at what we're doing right now? You sat at a computer and talked and... (laughs) like went over things that's so old. Like it's just, it's things like that. that you, you guys use zoom. You don't have it implanted in your head and can like, you know, use AI <laughs> to do your jobs. Um, again, tangent, but I, I enjoy a film like this where you can be taken to a moment in time, experience a culture that we aren't aware of and enjoy it. That's what I'm trying yeah. to say.
1: And, and I mean, George Lucas, this is very close to being not what happens in the story, but as far as the characters of the time period, this is basically George Lucas's Fablemans. This is his autobiographical movie about him growing up. Um, he has kind of said through many interviews that all of the male characters that he said, three of the four male characters in this movie were him at different stages uh, of his life, you know, between the ages of like 14 to 18, 19. And his inspiration for making this movie when coppola basically said i challenge you to write a comedy for kids and he's like okay well what did i like doing when i was getting he just started thinking about yeah we used to basically cruise what did i do he's like we used to cruise around he's like but they even 10 years later from where this movie takes place that is so lost on culture And, and the music being another thing he wanted to make a movie that really showcased the end of an era for music 1962 a year later, the Beatles change everything, Who? and the, the, the they were a band, mildly successful in '63, I think. Never heard of. <laughs> but uh, that that guy was in that band. He did that song with the um, uh, the one that Gal is more famous for now. Oh, like That's all the
0: people it. and stuff.
1: Yeah, that Olympic song. I think he wrote it for the Olympics specifically. <laughs> but anyways, uh, again, he saw so many cultural shifts. And it wasn't like he was like, oh, it's such a better time. He's just like, no, I want to document this. And you can't make a documentary, but he kind of grew out of documentary filmmaking. I and mean, a lot of his student films were like, I'm just going to make one of his more famous student films. And there's true really true. no way to to properly sell how big of a deal George Lucas was as a student filmmaker. I mean, the reason he got that scholarship is because he was making student films that like everybody was taking notice of and winning every competition. And he literally just made a student film that was just 60 seconds of a car driving around a track, you know, which you would love that because race car driving and everything. But um, he kind of liked the idea of documentary filmmaking and wanted to make this movie feel as documentary like as possible. Now, a lot of things we will kind of touch on here. The look of the movie, the way the script's written, the way that he directed these actors. People always say George Lucas isn't a an actor's director. The cast backs this up, but like but there's 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 a method to his madness that is quite interesting when you hear the stories about how this movie was made but uh this movie was so low budget and so not believed in that the storyline of about how you made this movie is one of these things you could make a movie out of George Lucas coming off of THX 1138 Ford Coppola is basically going off to do The Godfather because he needs to bail their company out of debt now because they canceled that untitled Star Wars film and that Apocalypse Now project.
0: The Journey of Uh, the Wills or whatever it was called back then. The Journey of
1: the Wills, yeah. Um, Lucas is like, I've got no friends in Hollywood. Warner Brothers wants nothing to do with me. How do I get this movie uh, sold? So he goes to some of his old classmates, uh, Willard Hike and Gloria Katz, who we talked about, they wrote the script of Temple of Doom for him later on. Uh, And they worked out, he's like, these are the characters I have. They worked out for a couple of weeks. This is our story treatment. He's like, I'm going to take the story treatment. I'm going to get somebody to pay us to write the script, but you're going to write it. So while Coppola is telling Lucas, you should focus on writing. That's what you're good at. Lucas is like, I hate writing. I want to focus on directing because that's what I want to get better at. And so his idea was I'll work on the story treatment. And then when I get the money for the script, I'll pay, you know, uh, Will and Gloria the, the, the money to develop this script and then I'll just direct it. So he shops it around. Nobody wants a piece of this. He finds out that the Cannes Film Festival is going on, and he basically only has enough money left from his payout from THX 1138 to fund his own trip to Cannes. Hmm. And he's like, he takes this massive gamble where he spends every cent he has to travel to Cannes to basically hope that he can corner somebody into buying this movie. Somehow he lucks out. He gets to some party he smooth talks the head of United Artists into paying him $10,000 to develop the screenplay. But he's like, but I want it in three weeks if you're going to do this. So he calls up his old classmates, Willard and Gloria, says, good news, I got $10,000. I just need you to do the script in three weeks. And they're like, okay, we're really sorry, but we're on a job right now that we can't get off of. So he's like, great. Now, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got to get this in three weeks. He flies back to the States, calls another one of his old you know college friends says, can you do this for $10,000? He says, yes. The guy writes a script that is so different from what George Lucas envisioned that he basically says, I'm not even going to turn this in. And this guy made all the money. So now George Lucas is writing the script himself for no money, (laughs) still ends up spending a year not being able to get it made. Eventually comes across somebody in Universal who says, I think this might be something that we could use in some capacity, but we need a name attached. George Lucas thinking, this is a movie full of kids. We're not going to have any name actors in this movie. They say, we don't care if it's an, it's an actor. It could be anybody. It could be the, the composer. It could be a producer. And he's like, wait a second. Godfather just came out and France Ford Coppola all of a sudden is like the most famous guy in Hollywood. So he asks him, would you produce my movie so that I could have a name on board? And Coppola says, yes, absolutely. The movie's finally greenlit. I mean, the story is kind of only a crazy from there, but I mean, just, just getting this movie made like they recently did, the tv series on the making of the godfather mm. and it was like 10 episodes in it was like half of it was really good and half of it was like, uh, like you, you're you're really stretching like there's no way i believe that these stories actually happen like this is so hollywood scripted but like this is one of those making of stories where it's like you could make a movie out of the making of american graffiti i love
0: hearing stories like that because you don't get that anymore you know like when was the last time we had that little film that that could you know the the Blair Witch Project, the you know, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, uh, you know those type of movies because you just it's a different age, you know. Nowadays, if that was George Lucas, he he would have just gone and filmed it on his phone and you know released it it on YouTube. You know what I mean? Yeah. In all seriousness, he probably would have. You know, it's kind of again times change. You you adapt to it, but it's insane to think that because you look at that, it's kind of like the J.K. Rowling story. Are we allowed to say that anymore? Isn't mm. she being cancelled? But, um. <laughs> You know, how many different publishers turned down Harry Potter until Mm -hmm. they did? So how many people turned down George Lucas and American Graffiti and all that kind of stuff that he then went on to do Star Wars and then, what, sell it to Disney for like $5 billion or something like that? Like, I I, I get you can never know. I know Kill Phil's going to get picked up one day and all of you (laughs) assholes who mocked me are going to be regretting it. I understand that, but I'm confident in my own ability and I'll get there eventually. But it's just... It's always one of those like interesting stories and kind of hearing all that. Again, I, I'm not aware of that at all. As I said, I sort of know this film existed, did not never read the history of American graffiti, but it's fascinating. And it it's one of those weird things where like, and you're such a fan of this film, obviously it's in your top 50 movies, but it makes you appreciate a film more, right? Like mm-hmm. obviously I know in the ins and outs of Jurassic Park and Michael Crichton and kind of the background of that ER, like, things that I love that I know the background of makes me appreciate how they get to that. So I don't know. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a great way of hearing that a, one person's passion to create a film, which we're here talking about 50 years later that so many people probably don't even know exists anymore because he's now the star Wars guy. Uh, but it's still amazing to hear all that.
1: Uh, I'm going to, the the more behind the scenes stuff the the drama that could be made into a movie is going to be once the movie's over so i'm going to save some of that for later but i'm going to do something different here now we usually recap these movies completely chronologically this movie by design was four stories featuring four characters that all connect kind of at the beginning and end this is very normal now but at the time this was one of the struggles george lucas had to get it made is studios basically told me you can't do that in a movie and george lucas kind of brings up on like the making of documentaries like nowadays every not just movies but every tv show does can you think of one tv show that doesn't have three or four interconnected stories all kind of loosely tied together but for the most part they're on their own but because of the format of this movie i, I want to kind of cover each story individually You're on we'll, 24 we'll have, style we're doing this 24 style yeah uh we will save like the everything from the race on at the end for The end, but I'm gonna give you this is gonna be this is gonna be choose your own adventure, Ben. 12 year old girl. I'm gonna, we've (laughs) we've got four main characters in this movie. We got Milner, the guy who's graduated a couple of years, the Matthew McConaughey of this movie, the Days to Confuse Matthew McConaughey, uh, hanging out with kids too young for them. Go with him. We got Richard. Okay, you want to go with Milner first? Okay, yeah. I I thought we were gonna go with Ron Howard first because that's like the, Uh, ah, save save
0: the star for last. Because I can I just say that, um, was Happy Days on at this point?
1: Or... no so okay. Ron Howard uh first first bit just get Ron Howard out of the way here Ron Howard is the closest thing to a name in this movie but like when this movie came out they were promoting it as Ron Howard because he was the kid on the Andy Griffith show
0: ah, right. uh right
1: and I mean he was incredibly famous for that but that was as a child star this would be like if Haley Joel Osment you know when when Haley Joel Osment hit 18 or whatever he tried to make a movie Everybody knew his name, but like nobody knew Ron Howard as a name. They just knew the kid on the Andy Griffith show. He was struggling to get work and was trying to go to film school, but he was the closest thing. But he had filmed the pilot for Happy Days prior to making American graffiti. That pilot wasn't picked up. But then happy or sorry, then American Graffiti becomes this massive hit. And all of a sudden, every TV studio, every movie studio is how do we get our own American graffiti? And whatever network it does said, we had the guy from American graffiti in a <laughs> pilot like this a year ago and you canceled it. And they said, fine, let's pick
0: the show up now a year later. Cause he was definitely someone like happy days was one of those shows that was on like, you know, you come home from school and that had the three hour block yeah. where it'd be like happy days. I dream of Genie, get smart, you know, all those type of shows. Um, so I, and again, I knew this guy was an esteemed director, but I sort of didn't correlate to a long time after, but, Was there much of a deal made about him going on to direct or half direct a Star Wars movie basically down the line because he was in like George Lucas film?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like here you said, this, this movie isn't by any means forgotten. It's still, it's just associated with George Lucas. People are like, oh yeah, and he did American Graffiti. I think because of Willow where Ron Howard, George Lucas kind of gave him one of his first big breaks as a director, Willow. When Star Wars came out, it was more so talk about, oh, Ron Howard, who George Lucas hired for Willow, is now doing a Star Wars movie than it is American Graffiti. But th- you can start to see a lot of George Lucas's regulars or just good friends Chewbacca. pop out of this movie. Chewbacca is in this great. film. <laughs> uh, Chewbacca was one of the seat covers in Harrison Jar-Jar. Ford's car. <laughs> That's
0: was. Jar Jar was in the dance scene. I think he was <laughs> in Flash Cadillac and the Continental Kids. I think he was the Continental Kid, Jar Jar Binks. Me, a continental kid. <laughs> Jody, be let's good. Go to the, let's go to the heart. One, two, we three, three, three. o'clock <laughs> rock. Five, six, seven. Five, five, six, seven. Six. <laughs> We're going to rock. I'm around
1: the clock tonight. Me, going to rock around. <laughs> let's go surfing now. Everybody's learning how. Come on the safari with me, sir. Come on the safari with me, sir. We're down in the Louisiana in the New Orleans. Why does he say, like, Elvis and
0: Cookie Monster now? <laughs> Uh oh, we need more uh, best
1: off clips this year. Thanks for that. Yeah, we're working hard on these. These are not scripted in anyway. Uh, anyways, but yeah. So I mean, he, it's kind of forgotten he started here. I think Ron Howard just is an actor, a lot of people forget. Even Happy Days, when people mention Ron Howard now, he's thought of as the director mm. and not the actor. But there, there's gonna be a couple actors in this movie like Suzanne Summers that you're gonna be like, I didn't realize that was them. But uh, so like we're start man. off with Miller here, <laughs> like the Wolf Man. So. George Lucas described, you know, these four stories he wrote and really because he was forced to write the script himself, even though he didn't want to, um, there was one story he couldn't crack, which was the Ron Howard story. But the Milner story, he's basically said, I was three of the four guys in this movie when I was 14 or 15. I was towed uh, when I was like 16, 17 or basically leaving high school. I was uh, Richard Dreyfuss. And then this is sort of the other part here. Oh, like right when I was becoming an adult and getting into a, becoming a, hoping he was going to become a mechanic, he was Milner. So, Uh, The Milner story here, that also means he did not molest any 12-year-old girls because Milner definitely doesn't to this movie. I was
0: going to say, like, you know, we established in Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones was a bit of a pedo. So, like, is there some sort of theme? (laughs) I mean, we know Natalie Portman, like, you know, Padme and freaking Anakin in in episode one was like 14 and nine. So, like, you know. (laughs) You you know, one of the reasons
1: why I think I love George Lucas, even just George Lucas as a person so much, like, George Lucas is me. Like, there is nothing in George Lucas that is going to be – writing anything or thinking anything about sex. Because when when we actually go through this movie, the the parts that during the rewrites he had Willard and his good friends, Willard and Gloria, actually do the work on, were all the things that basically involved sex and inappropriateness. (laughs) So he's like, I'm not comfortable with this stuff, guys. Can you write about that? That sucks stuff. Uh,
0: (laughs) That's so funny. uh, But if you watch him on the OC, Colin, he regretted not going to his uh, prom dance to have some sex.
1: So uh, he regrets it mr lucas uh, at the end of this movie we want to talk about why he didn't make it to his prom but uh that's another autobiographical thing this is in this movie, in this movie. But anyways so first i'm, I'm just going to start with all the stuff where all the characters meet at the beginning here and then we'll jump into we'll jump into choose your adventure number one milner here <laughs> uh so opening the movie you get the one two three o'clock four o'clock rocks <laughs> up and then uh the first introduction which uh is is toad Ron Howard is just sitting there against a the car and then toad pulls up so One of the most famous bits of trivia about this movie is that George Lucas, he never told the actors what his strategy was, but he would sometimes just keep filming, even though a take was fine. And he would even say, oh, that was terrific. Keep going. Um, But he was often just looking for mistakes. He wanted mistakes to happen on camera so he could make this almost feel like a documentary. And this scene where uh, Paul Martin Smith here, who's playing Toad, pulls up on the curb they just told him, just do something funny. Something kind of awkward and funny. Now, his plan was he was just going to shift gears or whatever at one point and only have the bike kind of like bounce or jump a little so he could just be startled. But it went wrong, and what we end up getting is this unscripted moment where the scooter, as he's parking, takes off, <laughs> goes about 10 feet, crashes into an like ice-making cr- ice machine or whatever you call that, a freezer, and... You actually can see here what shouldn't have been in the movie, which is Paul Mar- or Charles Martin Smith, I think is his name. Uh, the guy played Toad, where he, after this crashes, throws his hands up here because as he tells the story, I figured they were going to yell cut. And then I'm listening and George Lucas isn't yelling cut. So he turns around and he's like, I guess I better walk to Ron Howard. Now, you can watch this scene now and actually see him realize I just screwed up. He's about to yell cut and then suddenly realize camera's still rolling Uh, which is one of the great things like george lucas doesn't like working these improv and these mistakes into it something that's so different not what you expect from the guy who makes star wars um but uh this all the characters kind of meet together here and richard dreyfus and uh ron howard are basically about to leave for college and you got like toad who's the younger one you got milner who's the older guy who graduated two years ago and they're all kind of sad that they're leaving. Miller, especially, he, he, he gets very sad here. Oh, I'm not coding. It's not fair. Like, it's kind of weird. And then Richard Dreyfus, who's like, Johnny, Johnny, come on, turn that frown upside down. <laughs> it's a little bit odd, but uh, everybody kind of splits up from here after. Uh, a toad gets his pants pulled down, and <laughs> Ron Howard gives Toad the car, and then Milner throws a little bit of a fit here. Just, uh, can uh, I just but... ask
0: one quick question? Does Richard Dreyfus age like significantly in the next couple of years before Jaws? Jaws, <laughs> like, <laughs> two years? Like <laughs> I, I just I watched this movie going, wow, he's so young, and then I realized that it took it took a while. It <laughs> wasn't Jaws like released like a year or two after this film.
1: Yeah, well, and I I think he, he was older. Like, I don't know, do you have his age there, or how old he was oh, when can, this movie I came out? I can
0: find out. I'll get our research department onto that, Colin. Give me one moment. Because
1: I think he he won the Oscar. It might have been right around the time Jaws, just after Jaws 20, came out. He would have been 26. So he's 26, yeah, because he had that record for the youngest Oscar winner in history for a, a couple of years after this. But, I mean, even still, 26. I mean, he's older than a high school student. But, I mean, he had no experience. Like he is the most inexperienced actor in the well, second, most inexperienced actor in this movie. Um, yeah. And by the way, I know we're supposed to talk about Milner here, but everybody kind of has like, Oh, this is like a celebrity. You kind of have a weird thing for It's like most people wouldn't think you'd have a thing for that person. I've already mentioned. Jamie's got like a weird thing for Philip Seymour Hoffman. I learned she's got a weird thing for Richard Dreyfus too, especially well, young, especially young Richard Dreyfus. But she's like, even in like Mr. Holland's opus, like, oh. yeah,
0: Love that movie. I was, a to min- <laughs> I was about to mention Mr. Holland's Opus as a random one that I used to enjoy watching as a kid. Um haven't oh, seen I him in still a while though. But like didn't he get cancelled? Didn't he like come on TV and Did like he? talk about like something was it Trump related or something? I don't know. I feel he got cancelled recently, but <laughs> you lose track. Okay. If you haven't been cancelled, <laughs> it's weird now. So but no, I've always liked Richard Dreyfus. I just I haven't seen him in anything in a while.
1: Um so Milner is basically the older guy here, and uh he's just this is what the movie is. He's just cruising around. And I love the first car he goes up to, and he's just trying to talk to this guy. And the guy obviously can't hear him over the engines. And he I don't even remember what he's asking. He's like, hey, how you doing, Johnny? And he goes, what? How you doing, Johnny? He goes, your mother. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> oh, your mother. Oh,
0: that was that was as bad uh, as a C word in the 50s. Yeah.
1: Uh, he gets to another car where he's just trying to find a girl to ride with him. And I guess this is just one of those lost culture things. Cause I mean, even Harrison Ford does in this movie, Jamie asked at one point why Harrison Ford has a different girl in his car. He's like, what happened to the other girl? I'm like, I think this is Harrison the point Ford. of this movie. Like <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one in the trunk. He was ones acting. in the trunk just waiting. Just, he just walks down and says, Harrison Ford. <laughs> but like, this is just a thing. You pick somebody up, they ride with you for a bit. They go off, they do their own thing. You find somebody else. Uh, so he's Jamie would have loved this time mover.
0: period. She would have been absolutely
1: on form. If she wasn't married, she'd be doing it right now. <laughs> she'd be the only one doing it, but she'd be doing it. Uh, but uh, Miller's trying to get somebody to come in his car. They're saying, oh, no, I got a boyfriend or whatever, so I can't. But hey, Judy's sister will come with you. And he goes, fine. Ju-. I love it. He goes, like, Judy, her sister, her mother, her cousin, they can all come. <laughs> uh, you see a girl get out of the car, run in. And then uh, when she gets in the car, he doesn't look right away. Then he's like, oh, no, no, no. Because <laughs> it's a 12-year-old girl. Uh, Now, I don't know if you're familiar with this actress, um, Mackenzie Phillips here, Uh, she, one of those other sitcoms that like came out after this was, uh, I think it was One Day at a Time. It was like a single mother It was like one of those, you know, groundbreaking shows the first show about a single mother, the show ran for like eight or nine years, but uh, she was very famous for that later on. She's probably more well known for like a lot of stints and rehab that she has to do and everything. But <laughs> she's the daughter of like, you know, the mamas and the papas, mm. the mm. California Dreaming and California everything.
0: California Dreaming. Yeah. yeah. Great song.
1: So her dad and mom are in the Pama Mamas and Papas. The Palmer. So she and was sort of a celebrity the, the Papas and the Mambos. Uh Papa loves Mambo. Papa. Back to the Future Month coming soon. Uh but uh <laughs> so she was like celebrity child and hadn't acted before and the casting director sort of asked her to be in this movie but like, she was actually like 15 or 16 when they filmed this but they just said okay well you're going to be a 12 year old girl or whatever or, or or it might be the other way around she was it's 12 often when confusing she filmed sometimes this. yeah but like obviously this is a young girl so Milner's not very comfortable with it um Go and on, I, hey, like, Milner. come on <laughs> Well, this, this is Ben's storyline here. Oh, 12 year old girl. Milner, what a sissy. <laughs> Man up, Milner. Take Man that 12 year old saying. I keep saying it's the 50s, obviously the 60s. It's the 60s. Yeah. Get yeah. away with it. <laughs> very early 60s. We're still a couple years away from that being okay. <laughs> We're still slightly innocent here. But uh, like, I should hate the 12 year old girl in the movie, but like, she's one of those fun characters in this movie and one of the best performances, too. Uh, I just love the way she's like, oh, you hate me. It's like, my mom hates me, my dad hates me, everybody hates me. And then he's like, no, no, nobody hates you. Uh, One of the other times they have a car here, he sees somebody who's driving up that he knows, so he basically ducks her. I don't want them to see me with a 12-year-old girl, so he ducks her head down. He has a conversation, finds out that Harrison Ford is out looking for him. This new guy wants to race you. Uh, And then right after they leave, he's still got her pinned down the seat. She's like, is this what copping a feel is? (laughs) He's like, get up out of the... Uh, it, for the most part, there's not a lot of story that happens with them here. She puts some whipped cream on his face. He gets snotty with her and says, driving is a serious business, young lady. <laughs> um, and then uh, uh, there, 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 this is the part here where she basically says, oh, I'm going to tell him you tried to rape me because he's pulled over by a cop. I'm going to tell him you tried to rape me. Boy, are you going to get it? Uh, Very and progressive I guess
0: 12-year-old. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there's a lot of stuff in this movie where it's like, it's the threat of like I feel like this is early days of, you know, the Me Too movement. It's like, yeah. hey, hey, be careful. Be careful. I'm gonna tell them. Um, but uh he gets pulled over for a ticket. I like the way he kind of, you know, Plays all like, oh, gee, golly gee, officer. I would never think of doing illegal street racing. <laughs> That's how Colin actually speaks, by the way. He's not quoting the that movie. Is, this is when I get pulled over. and He's even saying it's like, oh, the, the measurement of the front is uh, 12 and a half inches. You could check it if you like, officer. Oh, golly gee. <laughs> oh, golly gee. <laughs> um, I don't know if you noticed his license plate is THX 138, Milner's license plate in this movie. I I, I thought it said, oh, golly gee, but I'll go back and look oh, <laughs> Uh, another part where he's uh, being asked, like, oh, who's the, the, the kid with you? And he's saying, oh, this is my cousin, Carol. I'm just babysitting her. And he starts getting a, a little bit, you know, uh, oh, you know, kids will be kids. And she basically storms off until she's basically being sexually harassed by guys on the street. So she comes back at him. There is a quick junkyard scene here, which is going to be important to the end, you know, type up the end of the movie, telling you what happens to the characters where they're going through this junkyard. And he's just describing to her oh, yeah, this car was wrecked here. It's all street racing or drunk driving and stuff like that, which will both connect to Milner's uh, story arc when they uh, wrap up the movie. Um, and then uh, there, there's the part where there's another car of girls who comes up and uh, they're throwing the the balloon in there. Now, this is one of these other bloopers that, like, the script scripted moment was that the balloon was supposed to hit the windshield, splash all over her, and she was actually supposed to get angry. What happened is the balloon hit her directly in the face. The actress, Mackenzie Phillips, literally burst out laughing, but still continued to try to act like she was angry. And George Lucas kept this in the movie just because he's like, well, it feels more natural that way. If, sometimes when people get hit in the face with a balloon, they're going to be laughing still, but they're still still angry about it. They get out, they spray shaving cream all over the car. Uh, they let the air out of the tires. Now, this is where um, uh, Paul LeMatte, the guy who plays Milner, who, who again, I, I'm amazed he didn't go on to bigger things because like he's amazing in this movie, too. Uh, but he got in trouble from George Lucas. The, the closing George Lucas gets to reprimanding somebody is he had to call him over as they were doing the takes on the scene. He's a like, Paul. Um, if you wouldn't mind, can you be a little bit gentler on the car? The owner is over there and he thinks you're <laughs> scratching it with your boots. And this was Paul. and was like, I thought this thing was a prop. This is somebody's real car. Cause this is how a movie with less than a million dollar budget gets by mm. is they get people. If you have a classic car come and we'll showcase it in the movie and we'll throw you 50 bucks. So all of these cars you're seeing on the street in this movie, which are like, you know, 10 years, uh, never been driven before uh since in the last 10 years, unless it's like a you know collector. These are all the collectors. So he didn't realize he was actually when you see him sliding across the hood, he was probably getting George Lucas in trouble right here. Um, so Carol keeps trying to take the gear shift knob. Uh, and this is one of her other like uh, oh, oh, me too Mozart. She's like, uh when he's saying, no, no, put that back. He's like, go ahead, break my arm if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it this is where Harrison Ford... This, there's several characters in this movie. It's like, fine, punch me around. Like, women basically saying, why don't you punch me? Why don't you rape me? <laughs> Wait till you see what happens. You rape me. Just see what happens when I meet you. Uh, so this is where he meets Harrison Ford the first time, and they're just trading. And so this is like a lot of, like, your mama jokes. It's like, white man can't jump style back and forth here. Uh, Carol tries to get into it, and she's like, your car is uglier than I am. And she's like, wow, that didn't come out <laughs> <all> right. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, Harrison Ford's best line here is like, uh, oh, I like your, uh, your, your girlfriend there. Were you trying to pick up an extra couple bucks babysitting? I uh, he says, why don't you come and ride with me, babe? Maybe another 10 years. Uh, they have their first quick race here, which is just off the red light. Basically, Milner, uh, hits the brakes before he gets to a red light and Harrison Ford keeps going. Uh, this is where he has the line. He's fast, but he's stupid. And then I guess the final part here we'll get before it gets to the final, uh, climax, everything on the races. is that she sort of mentions, boy, my parents would be upset if they knew I was out this lady goes, oh, your, your parents are pretty protective, huh? So he basically drives her to a secluded part and essentially pretends like he's trying to rape her <laughs> so that she will get cold feet and be like, oh, this is my address. It's one, two, three, whatever. Uh, he drives her home. And then there's kind of a nice moment here where uh, she's, she's like not wanting to get in a car. And she's like, do you like me? And he goes, yeah, sure. You're all right. And he goes, no, but do you like me? And this is like, how is this scene supposed to be read? Where he goes, Yeah, I like you. Like, is he saying, I like you? <laughs> or is he saying, Yeah, you're all right? You know? So he basically, Oh, I wish I had some of your memory by. So he gives her the gear shift knob, gives her a quick kiss, and then she says, Wow, this is great. I'm going to tell everybody. It's like we're going steady. And then she gets out of the car. So basically, the same way this ends the same way it begins. I don't want people to think that I'm picking up a 12-year-old girl. This is how it ends. He essentially picks up a 12-year-old girl.
0: And knowing 12-year-old girls like I do, she's going to school <laughs> the next day and going like, "I hooked up with an older guy." Yeah. And like, like <laughs> I mean, like it's a sweet storyline and everything along those lines, but like let's completely analyze this. His reputation is shot because she's going yeah. to be going to school and telling everybody <laughs> that I went around him going steady.
1: With like what are they meant
0: to be like 17, 18-year-olds? Um,
1: well, Milner's supposed to be 20 because he graduated like two years earlier. She's supposed to be, I don't know, 13 maybe? Which, I mean, if you're Elvis, it's fine. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> but it was 62. I guess it's
0: okay. Yeah, you know. Uh, which, I mean, like again, this has not been defending age gaps and pedophilia, but like it would be looked upon differently in 1962 as it would be in 2023. So, mm-hmm. uh, boy, I miss the 60s. But um, it's... Yeah, like, I I was a little bit confused about where this is going, because particularly the scene when he was, like, coming on to her. I'm like, (laughs) like, legitimate. Because, like, and, again, this isn't Ben, like, looking at a girl going, she doesn't look that young. But, like, when she gets in the car, like, honestly, she doesn't look like she's 12. So, like, Mm. but you get that line from him when he's like, oh, how old are you? Like, it's a little joke. But it is kind of sweet. Like, we, we kind of do live in this day and age now where you've almost got that, that if you watch like the last of us, like you've kind of got that father figure with like a younger person who they're not directly related and they bond over time. So, um, you you know, and you never are meant to look at it as a sexual thing. Um, but I think that this kind of works and it's fun and it's sort of, it's just, it's very, it's, I mean, a a coming of age sort of show where a show, a movie where like, obviously (laughs) you've got somebody who's slightly older and kind of still reflecting on that. Like it's, You know, it's what the 80s were known for with like like the Breakfast Club and even Ferris Bueller, we Mm -hmm. didn't really talk too much about that. Ferris Bueller's a coming of age sort of, you know, like what are we going to do tomorrow? Like leaving school, that sort of stuff. But like you can still have that from somebody who clearly has just been driving around for two years and doesn't know what he's going to be doing and everything along those lines. But I like like this. I mean, there's there's honestly not any of these stories that I dislike. But um, I actually, I, I will say, I kind of... Uh, connect, this sounds wrong, but bear with me. I connect with the 12-year-old girl because <coughs> when she's like, nobody likes me. My mother like, I'm like. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's me. You know? Um, but I, I remember when I see, when you see Harrison Ford, because I'm like watching, i like thinking, I thought he was like one of the main guys in this movie. Like I thought he was one of the main crew. So even in the credits, when you're seeing all the names come up and it was like also starring and Harrison Ford like third billing. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. But gee, he looks good. Like, I mean, wow. we talked about him in Indiana Jones looking great, but this is what, how old would he be? I mean, he's like 800 now, so he would be been like 20 here or something like that. So, um, he, like the hat. In is, his 20s. He's almost got his Hit. fedora phase going
1: on there well, with the cowboy you know, hat. The hat was his contribution. Now, uh, this is going to also repeat itself. We we talked about this in A New Hope. It'll repeat itself four years after this with how he got cast in Star Wars. But uh, Harrison Ford... At the time he was making this, had stopped acting because he had kids that he had support and he wasn't getting enough jobs to support it. So he was working full time as a carpenter, and the casting director for this movie had him doing Renault's on his house. And he's like, "Are you still acting, Harrison?" He goes, oh, "Not really." It's like, "Do you want to audition for something?" There's this movie, and we're looking for at least one character who's a little bit older, like mid twenties. So he comes in to do this movie. Now Harrison Ford hasn't acted in like a year or whatever, and when George Lucas gives him the part, he basically said you guys all got to look like it's 1962. So the guys had to get like the 50s, 60s haircuts. Harrison Ford said, I'm not getting a crew cut (laughs) because this is the first acting job I had in a year. If I can potentially get another acting job after this, I want to make sure I don't look like a guy from 1952. So his compromise, where he said, what if I just wore a cowboy hat and that would cover up my, you know, 1973 hair? And George was like, yeah, 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 go with that. Oh, that's perfect. Go with it, right? Uh and, and that's how Harrison Ford ends up in a cowboy hat in this movie is cause he didn't want to cut his hair.
0: I do love your George Lucas impression, by the way. It's um it's, <laughs> Did you see the um the very Harrison... It doesn't
1: sound like Schwarzenegger? Is that what <laughs> it does it? Hey,
0: hey, I'm George Lucas. Hey, hey, I'm Bill Cosby. Um don't mention him, Ben. Um it's because we're obviously in a rider strike at the moment we don't have late night shows so we're not seeing these actors go on these shows so it's few and far between them promoting their movies but the one that I saw doing the rounds this week was some red carpet for Dial of Destiny and the reporter's like so if you had the uh, Archimedes Dial what would you do with it? Like where would you go? And he literally just goes home <laughs> It's like I've been away for a long time and I just want to go home <laughs> You're like I'll oh, give that man a hug like, poor old grumpy Harrison's back.
1: He's <laughs> I want to go uh, home. on the, uh, on the, the, the making of documentary Harrison Ford's on it still. And, uh, he gives like such a Harrison Ford uh, answer where he basically says they're, they're asking like, Oh, you know, how did you get in this movie? And he's like, He's like, well, I actually had uh, not acted in this movie because I had a very lucrative career as a full time carpenter. <laughs> so he's basically joking around, pretending like, oh, I was making too much money as a carpenter, so I gave up acting.
0: Can I just actually, uh, on that, just, I know you're not a car guy. We've talked about this before, but of the cars that they drive, can we agree that the, this yellow hot rod looking thing is the yeah. nicest of all of them? That's the one I like oh, the yeah. most.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the Milner's car. I mean, and, and it's the one that's like, Oh, that's weird. I think that's that's another interesting thing about this movie is everybody else is driving cars Mm -hmm. and Milner's is like, this is a hot rod. This is like a show car. But yet I don't know if this was intentional on George Lucas's part. Like this is the fanciest looking, you know, most expensive looking car there. But yet everybody else looks at it and says, "That thing? That's a car. What is that?" You yeah, know. But which, maybe that's one of his jokes about how time changes things. But
0: even you look at like the Cadillacs and all these kind of styles, which nowadays, like, I mean, I've got a, a friend here and family friend here in Sydney, and they're very much into hot rods. They own like four. They do shows around there, and I was there the other day, and uh, the the husband, my sort of uncle, he was like showing the cars, and like he had one of these sort of like a yellow one, like a hot rod that style, and I'm like, wow, this looks really cool. But then Linda, she picks me up in, like, a Cadillac, sort of like one of the ones that, like, Ron Howard's got, which, I mean, it's a nice car, don't get me wrong, but, like, it's sort of, it's not my style of nice car, but I know some people go gaga for these things, but I, I like the yellow one. That's my favourite. But I like this storyline. I don't, I don't know if we're ranking the storylines of American Graffiti, but it's, it's sweet, like, because, again, I think what is good about this film... Um, I don't know if you're gonna get away with in 2023 a story about a 20-year-old driving around with a 12-year-old and just forming a yeah. like I know I talk about that father-daughter sort of dynamic, but when it's Pedro Pascal and he's in his 40s with like a 12, 13 year old girl, it's
1: sweet, but like even though he's actually dating that girl in real life. Yeah. What? You didn't know that?
0: Pedro Pascal's dating the girl from The Last of
1: Us. Yeah, well, the girl from The Last of Us, no. they, they'd already done Game Yeah, they had already done Game of Thrones, but she's in reality, she's like 18, 19. But yeah, they're dating in real life
0: i can't even speak <laughs> that's not true is she lesbian i thought she came out as gay
1: oh i think she came out as like non-binary or something but then yeah no. No, look it up look it up no <laughs> yes i don't want to watch it anymore
0: uh, i'm you know I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for incest but like Bella <laughs> randy no
1: yeah uh, uh, they, I'm sure they're going to have it here. Uh, I hope you're not
0: doing this with the Cedric the Cable Guy or Larry the Cable Guy. No, this, guy. Isn't, this, this is
1: actually isn't true. <laughs> no, this that like they've appeared on red carpets. They've talked about it a little bit. Um, uh, it, it's 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 a, it's a real thing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be fact checking this. That's
0: not true. I can't imagine that. No, it says they formed a friendship on The Last of Us
1: uh no i've I've seen multiple things about them dating unless multiple stories were wrong uh well there's one here from february saying they're not dating um <laughs> uh, may- like maybe maybe they're not Pedro, <laughs> like no this this is like literally all over about how they were dating i mean uh in fact I, I i swear i even remember him basically saying it's like oh there's nothing wrong with it uh, He's oh, wait, maybe this is literally the i
0: think it might be i don't think this is real
1: yeah, well, I think. Yeah. So all of if you go back to like February and March, there's all these stories about them dating. And if you go like from May to June, there's all these things saying we are definitely not dating. Uh, I can't say why they, anything. So my here question about is, it. why wouldn't they have debunked it much earlier? To me, it's just even all right the here, friendship, not friendship. Not dating despite despite rumors sparked by a comparison of Leonardo DiCaprio to a alleged girlfriend. But like, but this is the thing, because there's this weird
0: like cult around Pedro Pascal, and as there should be. Like he's like the daddy. All the women love him because he's kind of like Daddy Pedro. But um I mean, look, I- I'm not disparaging an age gap, but I mean it's just kind <laughs> of like that oh i'm like there's
1: another one here that, where it's basically saying neither of them have this is like from back in february neither of them have confirmed that they're dating yet but it's rumored uh so hey there we go <laughs> uh, maybe this there's a little bit more validity than Larry the Cable guy being a pedo but
0: <laughs> i i like i just I, it's not a pedophile either because like she's 19 he's 48 it's legal yeah um, but like that's just the oh no! Like I'm I'm not for right? shipping an incest, but like that's just a show <laughs> that I
1: never watched. It going like oh, imagine if these two were together. Like yeah, well there were there were even people saying like oh this this is gonna make it impossible to watch the TV show. Like what your reaction was, but now I'm glad to hear that they're not dating. Yeah.
0: They don't ever touch
1: each other. <laughs> don't touch her again, Pedro. Put the put the hand down. <laughs> <laughs> Leave that nonsense to Larry the Cable Guy. Uh, do anything else to add on do you like the performances like Paul LaMatte I don't know if I've seen, I got to look it up if I've seen him in anything else so he's uh, fantastic
0: I yeah I, I mean I
1: like
0: I like him I, I I like to be honest with the outside of Richard Dreyfuss Ron Howard Harrison Ford I didn't know anybody really in this film so I don't know if they really yeah did go on to other things so I can't say I'm I'm on top of the Paul Lamatt filmography <laughs> um, but he got a Golden Globe for New Star of the Year back when they used to give that away for this film so uh he he won an award this and i didn't realize and get my naivety didn't realize that american graffiti was nominated for best picture so
1: yeah uh he ha- paul amatt actually won a golden globe in 1984 uh for best actor in a miniseries for a movie that i remember my mom had like a really bad quality vhs sub called the burning bed it was like a farrah fawcett one of like tv movies were a big deal you know in the 80s and he won best actor at the golden globes for that uh mm, but yeah I mean, most of the stuff on here is more b-grade stuff but He's a good actor. There's the official Um, website of
0: Paul LaMatte. If you want to go to it, it's (laughs) paullamatte.com.
1: So Paul LaMatte and Harrison Ford also. One of the funny thing before I let you choose your next adventure. Hmm. Um, George Lucas, when he was making this movie, he he basically said, I knew I was going to be making a movie with professional actors, but I also knew I was making a movie with very young professional actors. So we expected there would be some nonsense, some hijinks, some drama, some immaturity. So what we didn't really expect is that all that immaturity would have come from the two adults in the cast, Paul LaMatte and Harrison Ford. So Paul Matt and Harrison Ford were the wild guys on set. And it was basically everybody else like, did you hear what they did? Uh, there's one fun Richard Dreyfus story. Uh, we're going to call Paul LaMatte Harrison Ford bullying Richard Dreyfus. We'll get to it a little bit later on, but now, now let's do it. Choose your, choose your next adventure, Ben. We got... Steve, which is Ron Howard. We got uh, the Toad and um, uh, the girl. And then we got uh, Richard Dreyfuss.
0: Before I do, you can follow official Paul Lamatt at Paul Matt on Twitter. Uh, it doesn't seem like Oh, he had- I'm going to. He's only got 4,900 followers. I think as the Oz <laughs>
1: Network, we've got more followers. That's, our new, that's <laughs> going to be our new tagline. More followers than Paul Lamatt. Um <laughs> Can you just do me a favor? When this hits social media, don't bother tagging the... I, I don't know, a million very, very famous people in this, but please tag Paula Matt. Just make him the one guy we tag in this movie when we put it up well, on Twitter. In all
0: honesty, all he seems to do on Twitter is retweet people. So um we He'll might retweet us. Maybe maybe in the again, Oz Network, more followers than Paula Matt. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that's a, and that's not right. I'm actually very angry about that. I don't want more Paul as a Paula Matt. This is a talented man. He was a, one of George Lucas's oh, talented? talented stars. Excuse me. We're certainly not Paula Matt talented. We interviewed I Fred mean, Dresser. <laughs> he burnt Farrah Fawcett's bed. We've <laughs> had Anthony Rocky on this
0: show. Excuse me. <laughs>
1: Hey, it was a Carlos. How dare you! It was funny when you said that. I actually had like the sadness. I'm like, I don't deserve to be better than Paula Mac. Well, well, i, I mean, do not saying we're terrible. I, there's times where I tell Jamie, you should really listen. That episode was pretty good. <laughs> we're not Paula Mac good. I've worked my ass off to the bone for this show, Colin Hilary. <laughs> well, then maybe you should be the next Paul LeMatte film. Maybe he can cast us. If he retweets us, he might cast us as well and then we'll be even more famous. I don't think he's acted since 2009, but I would be honored to be in a Paul <laughs> LeMatte film. Wait, not only does we have more followers than Paul Mat, but we have more work. This really is bad. Like, this is terrible. I, I want to give this guy a low I know You what? Tell me, if you learn carpentry, Paula Matt, take <laughs> up Harrison Ford's mantle. Come build my house. <laughs> Paula Matt, I, I we, we want you to take over Harrison Ford's carpentry, which <laughs> hasn't been active since 1977. Become a carpenter. I will help you finish my reno basement. I've got a half done right now. Behind the camera, there's a whole laundry room that we need built. Paula Matt, build my basement. And I will I will do you a solid, Paul Matt. You
0: can be you can be Phil's brother and kill Phil three. <laughs> That's what you can
1: be, Paul and Matt. Good for you. There's these times where it's like, hey, we got a best-selling moment. Then there's other times where it's like, this is 100% real. Like, I do not feel right. Like, more followers than Paul and Matt.
0: I'm honestly going to change our tagline on our Twitter to <laughs> more followers than Paul and Matt. <laughs> the most entertaining, so it's stuck at the most entertaining TV and film podcast on the internet. More followers. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a way to tag somebody in that? I think you can. Um, Don't, because then he'll never retweet our episode. Don't. Oh, Paul Lamatt. <laughs> <laughs> do I make it with Paul with more followers, than Paul? Yeah, with more followers than Paul Lamatt. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> oh, we got to be retweeted by Paul Lamatt. That will make up for everything.
0: <laughs> so, so we just, let's let's do that right now. Uh, currently recording our American graffiti recap uh, if only uh,
1: <laughs> I just saw, I just saw the, the
0: followers if <laughs> only Paul Amat Matt would retweet us to help get us some listeners for it come on the show yes. too Paul <laughs>
1: seriously I, I would love to talk to
0: Paul Amat Matt on here we'd love Tom. to have you um, let's talk about Toad
1: all right, Toad's Neck. Now, this is the one I have the most amount of notes on. Uh, so, so, okay, i go through this. Uh, first, I want to quickly say, so the the um, the two actors in this segment, the the girl, Candy Clark, uh, you looked up to see American Graffiti was nominated for Best Picture. Did you see who the one actor in this very prestigious cast who got nominated for an Oscar was? I
0: think you're about to tell me it's, it's this
1: woman. It's Candy Clark, who had acted in one movie before this. She was basically a model, and George Lucas decided to hire her um, and give her a shot. And she ends up with the Oscar nomination. I'm not going to argue with that. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that like she's the best performance in this movie, even necessarily. But like, I, I'm kind of glad that you, you got one of these quirky characters in this movie. And it is one of the unknown actors that got an Oscar nomination. But uh, the other guy. So um, I always I was confused. Uh so the guy plays Toad. It is Charles Martin Smith. OK, um, so Charles Martin Smith is an honorary Canadian. Now, he continued to act for a long time. He actually had some big roles. Uh, Probably his last big acting role was in The Untouchables with uh, Kevin Costner and Sean Connery. He was actually one of the lead characters in The Untouchables. Uh, But he decided to transition into directing, like Ron Howard, you know, all following in George Lucas's footsteps. And uh, Paul LaMatte directed a movie that we are going to be covering next year on Canada versus Australia Month, when he became the honorary Canadian who directed Air Bud, Wait, so hang, on, hang, on, hang on, hang
0: on, hang on, Back up. You said Paul LaMat directed Airbud.
1: Bud. Oh, not Paul LaMat. Oh, I got Paul LaMat. <laughs> oh, that's sh- blew my mind. Like <laughs> here we are Charles bagging him out. Martin Smith. <laughs> No, he definitely would have more followers. I wonder how much Charles Martin Smith has. Uh, but Charles Martin Smith uh, had uh, directed Air Bud. Oh, and- screw American Graffiti.
0: Why are we doing that <laughs> right now? I'm going to find this guy uh, on we Twitter. Got it on
1: the, we got on the list next year. But it, the funny thing is that he actually stayed in Canada and continued to make movies. and not like kid movies too. There's actually a movie I brought up on Canada, Australia Month called The Snow Walker, which is like a big epic here. Really good movie. But uh, yeah, he just, he just, decides you know what i can have creative freedom in canada they'll let me kind of make my own movies i don't have to make just cheesy tv stuff i could do some does theatrical he, films and does he like he animals? To it.
0: sorry to interrupt
1: but like because I can, of a dolphin's tale dolphin tail and the dog's way home uh he's yeah. been in a movie called
0: never cry wolf like i mean <laughs> let it go charles we get it you like animals
1: yeah uh actually the um the dog's way home i don't know if that was the one but that, that whole series there's like it's like a whole series of movies there were one Dennis Quaid was in one of them was really big. Death I think it he filmed here in Winnipeg. Uh, so this might be the one filmed film Winnipeg. I don't know. But anyway, so, yeah, those are the two lead actions for the story. Okay. So, so Toad is basically what George Lucas described himself as at 14, 15. He was the he geeky was kid. He was the geeky kid that would have the cooler, older friends that would just be like, hey, it's little George Lucas. Come here, buddy. You know, Skellyway. that <laughs> <He'd> rub <laughs> oh, his daddy, head old pal. Hey, you're a champ <laughs> off your run. But uh, after the opening scene where Ron Howard gives him his car because he's going away to college, which I love he has that line. It's like, I will love it and cherish it. <laughs> uh, so you just see him failing at every opportunity. Like he thinks this car is going to have him made. The first thing is where he, the the girl at the the drive-in diner or whatever, it, where he's trying to, hey, you want to come to ride in my car? And she's like, with you. Pfft. And that's when I think uh, somebody pulls his pants down. Um, but uh, even when he's driving around, it's just that, that first fun sequence where he's like, he's like, yeah, I, I got a car. I look <laughs> at my car, everybody. And just everybody he encounters, like even the first guy's like, is that you driving that beautiful car? What a waste of machinery. And then you get, he drives past a bunch of girls and you get them just mooning him through the window.
0: It's my favorite thing.
1: Yeah. And then when he he gets up and he's revving his engine, trying to race the guy next to him, he even says like, what do you got in there? He goes, more than you can. Don't they have this race course he goes backwards when the <laughs> other guy goes forwards he crashes in this car and i love this guy's like oh excuse me son we seem to have had a little yes. accident and he goes <laughs> love that guy <laughs> he's but like second well, favorite I want guy your... in this
0: movie
1: <laughs> then he's like i won't report you this time but don't make a habit of it and he speeds off now when this movie is screened i'll go into the story at the end of this the drama on after this movie was made but basically the studio released this movie only under the condition they could cut three scenes and one of the scenes is like the car dealer scene that comes after this which that's the one scene I'm like, I could see maybe how you could have cut this. It wouldn't have affected anything, but still it's such a fun scene because he's checking the damage on the car and you got this guy who's sitting on like the world's biggest chair, <laughs> just waiting for somebody to come by. And he's At like, two you know what morning? I like to give- well yeah because this is like the middle of the night he's like you know what i'd like to give you for this car i'd like to give you a thousand dollars i can't give you a thousand dollars but i'd like to uh now this is actually sort of the the same idea he had for c3po george lucas had (laughs) he even says that like there's certain themes that come up in like all of his movies one of them is people going away from home i have to make the choice whether to leave the comfort of my you know boring home and go off and do something big or take a risk on that and the other thing is apparently cheesy used car salesman because this is what see C- this guy is what c3po was supposed to do i think there's even like a star wars interview where he admits yeah i basically used that idea for c3po later on didn't have a big uh, chair this- though no <laughs> uh you're probably wondering why i'm sitting in a big chair <laughs> but <laughs> that's sir. a story for another you never got the story about the radar yeah <laughs> oh wonderful uh, but yeah, I mean, there's still a little fun scene here. And I, I just love he goes full of you Estevez when this car dealer won't let him get away. Like, Leave me alone, for God's sake! I'm for God's sake, I don't want to my car! What the hell are you doing? Uh, so uh, he basically meets Debbie, the, the girl Academy Award not the candy clerk here, uh, which she's walking past. And she's basically ignoring him at first. Uh He's just trying to all these pickup lines on her or whatever. He eventually says, you look like Connie Stevens, which I actually I, I always mean to do this, and this time I watched a movie, I actually Googled who Connie Stevens is. I'm like, does she look like Connie Stevens? I'm like, they're both blonde. I don't know if that's just a joke or oh, whatever. Connie Britton. No, Connie if you look like Connie Britton, <laughs> then you really got it made. Uh, now if you have more followers than Connie Paul Lamat needs as many followers as Connie Britton. <laughs> and Paul Lamat, you know the
0: secret to getting followers? Is don't follow anyone. Don't just... follow them back. <laughs> Connie Britton. I'm Connie Britton. I don't need to follow anyone. I'm fucking Connie <laughs> Britton. <laughs>
1: Um, but she eventually comes up and starts talking to him or whatever. And, uh, this is where he, he, he start, basically he's, this whole story is him just lying to impress the girl who basically doesn't care to be impressed. She's just like, Oh, this seems like a nice guy, uh, where he's basically saying, Oh, they call me Terry. Then he's once he you get the idea that Terry, the toad is what they call him, which is why they call him toad because they call me Terry, the tiger or whatever. And this is where he totally flubs my opening line, where he, where she's like, "Oh, I love the upholstery." It's like, "I'll let you feel it." I mean, I mean, you can touch it if you want. I mean, you can. and then he's like, "So, serious. you can come inside and feel the upholstery." <laughs> um, I love when they go to the drive-in here, and you have like like that Simpsons. Uh, they <laughs> <laughs> you can't understand a word they're saying, uh, and Toad who's just trying to order or whatever. He's like, "Huh?" And they're like, blah, blah, blah. "He goes, yeah, right." And he just puts it down. Uh, she's basically saying, you know, we should go get some booze eh, or whatever. Uh, and, oh no, first the guy who comes up here and talks to Debbie. So this is one of the best delivered lines in the whole movie where uh, Toad's trying to say like, hey, the lady looks like she doesn't want to be bothered. This guy's like, you want a knuckle sandwich? She goes, no thanks, I'm waiting on a double cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> Again, people say George Lucas doesn't have a sense of humor. Like, he knows funny. Uh, it has to be something he's probably experienced before. He's been the guy who's been off of the knuckle sandwich. Uh, she says we should get some booze instead. So he's like, oh, I didn't want the, the burger anyways. So he bails on the bill, paying his bill. Uh, they're going to a liquor store, and he's just waiting for somebody to come in to buy it for him. And I love the first guy he tries to yes. ask, who's just like, yes, son, this is Mr. Serious. And he's like, I was wondering... Did you know what time it was? (laughs) my favorite in the
0: movie. I love this guy. You know, it's so funny about this guy because he's just like, it's like, oh, excuse me. Yes, Sonny Jim. Like, (laughs) I was wondering if you know the time and he fucking loves it. Oh,
1: absolutely. It's 12.15. Like he's so excited to tell this kid the time. Well, it gets better too because he's quarter to 12 and then another guy comes where he's like, oh, could you go buy this for me? And then I lost my, he says, I lost my ID and this guy, it's like, oh, sure. It's like, I lost my wife too, although her name wasn't an ID and it wasn't in a flood. <laughs> uh, but this guy's going in to do it at the same time that the, the first guy comes out, the yes son. And I just love the toady When he walks by, go, hi again. And he goes quarter to 12. And this guy's loving He's like, Oh yes, it is. Yeah, my favorite quarter to
0: I love that man. He's my favorite in this whole movie. <laughs> and then
1: you get like this, this senile guy who didn't lose his wife's ID was not lost in the flood. Who just walks out the back with toad's booze so he has to go uh inside himself to try to find him and then when he gets in there that's you got the, the liquor store clerk. now this is this is another simpsons this is 100 percent simpsons where homer is trying to buy the illegal fireworks mm. because toad's basically saying like trying to try to play it cool like hey do you need anything he goes yeah give me like a pen give me this and it's like that simpsons where homer's like yeah let me see i'll take a uh, penny uh, give me some of that pornography and some illegal fireworks and, uh, <laughs> and the guy's asking for his ID. He goes, Oh, geez, I left it in the car. Sorry. He goes, Oh, well, sir, I can't sell it without the ID. You better go get it. He goes, Oh, I also forgot the car. <laughs> <laughs> the next time he walks out, he's just asking Debbie for a dollar. And this is another thing. Oh, the, how times have changed. Oh, the innocent time where she even uses the words, Girls don't pay, guys pay. Uh,
0: (laughs) Sexist. Which
1: is nice if you can do that, but yeah, like double standard. That's not that's not really fair. How come it can't go both ways? Well, you want equal opportunity. Pay, Debbie. As somebody who goes on many
0: failed dates, when I say many, (laughs) once a year, um, it's still that weird nature where it's kind of I'm still expected to pay. Like it's it's. it's, (laughs) Do you ever ask? So uh, you you want to cover my bill too? But like it literally gets to the end of the night and they kind of they sort of loosely get. You can just tell they're just doing it so slowly. And you get mine. I am like, all right, it's all right. I got this. Oh, are you sure? Has ever already put the wallet back in their pocket? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's that weird thing where that like it it's just still kind of expected. And even even if you have these conversations, oh no, I I'm happy to pay half of it. Blah 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 blah. It's like no, you are fucking not. Fuck off. <laughs> You have no Uh, interest in me. You looked at me five minutes into this date. You, oh god, I'll sit here for an hour at least. I'll get a free meal. Like that's exactly like I'm not even kidding. I have been on dates where you get that vibe from them. You're like, oh, for fuck's sake, I'm gonna have a conversation for an hour. I'm not gonna be doing what I usually do at home by myself at this time of night. So at least I'll just pay for a drink. And who knows, she might get (laughs) drunk enough that she might kiss me. And usually they leave. So no.
1: He, picture looked like he might have been 6'2 with a six pack. <laughs> Someone's not checking it out here. <laughs> he, he doesn't look like uh, Polo Matt. His images yeah. lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> He's got more followers than Paul Matt. I assumed he would get somebody more handsome. <laughs> that's, 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 that's my, I'm going to put that on my Tinder profile.
0: More followers than Paul Matt. Done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, every time you see that, I actually still feel sad. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, he borrows a dollar from her. Uh, so he goes in and offers the the next guy, uh, oh, can you buy, the, buy me the booze? The guy's like, sure, why not? And I love it. The, just Toad's expression where he's looking, he's giving like the, it's all right <laughs> to Debbie. It's all good. And the next thing you know, the guy runs out, throws the bottle at him. The shopkeeper comes out firing bullets at the guy. <laughs> he's just committed an armed robbery. Yeah, what is with uh, that? Uh, an armed robbery? No, well no, it's something no, that what, happens what, generally what <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times with liquor stores. No, I don't Because they're open late and carry cash. No, but what I'm saying is like, does this
0: guy actually rob the store or is this guy just shooting him because he bought beer for a kid?
1: <laughs> no, I think he robs the liquor store. Because <laughs> right. uh, uh the the other screen, right? This was what this scene was the contribution of like um the the other George Lucas's other screen Gloria and Willard, where they basically said, Oh yeah, this was like a real story, like not a real story, just them specifically, but it's like a lot of people you just, just wait for somebody to buy them booze. And then you don't know whether you're handing that to a person who's gonna steal or whatever. And they kind of came up with this idea about what if we have three characters and each was a completely different interaction. But yeah, it's definitely it's definitely an armed robbery. It's definitely uh, <laughs> an armed robbery. And I wanna get mentioned but again. But this, this is one of those mistakes George Lucas did where they were doing these takes over again. And again, this is a movie that they had four weeks to film and they lost a lot of time because the original city that agreed to allow them to film there pulled out of it the next day and said, listen, we don't want you guys filming here anymore. And they had to find a different town to get to while losing an entire day of filming. Uh, but George Lucas would do 11, 12 takes of things and all of the actors were like, we don't understand why he's doing this. Uh, one of the the scenes here where they had done like 10 takes where the 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 robber comes out, throws the bottle to him and he catches it perfectly. Uh, the one take here, you have it on there now? Uh, hold on, I can't see this. Some people, who wants to come to the Women's World Club World Cup with me has more Twitter followers than Paul Lamat. Yep.
0: If you're oh, limited. That's gonna get,
1: get you some action. Can you change your profile picture to Paula Mat?
0: <laughs> you get, might
1: get more action. I don't want
0: to be inundated, Colin. Alright, I'm a busy yeah, man. A lot of
1: twelve lot of twelve year old girls, Ben. <laughs> your type.
0: That's a different Twitter uh Tinder
1: column. We don't <laughs> talk about that one on here. But uh that's called Tinder. <laughs> 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 it took me a second, but I got it. That's a good joke. That was pretty good. That deserved that. <laughs> joke. That's
0: pretty funny. I have worked on my life. I'm giving my like. That's good. That's
1: a bloody good joke. <laughs> uh, anyways, so I'm that down. One of those Kinder. <laughs> that's one of those spontaneous things George Lucas would do. Eleven takes to get. Uh, <laughs> but uh yeah it's this one scene if you watch it where he turns around too late so he basically comes like inches away from dropping and shattering the bottle and of course that's when george lucas said all right we got it cut like george he's like that was the moment where charles martin smith realized we know now why george lucas is doing all these takes over and over again he's waiting for us to screw up he wants those screw ups because it feels more natural um anyways they make off with the booze now <laughs> escape the arm robbery and uh uh Basically, this is where he puts the moves on her, she pushes him away, he thinks, "Oh gee, I'm sorry, it must be the liquor talking." But then she's all for it. She's like, "Yeah, yeah, no, just just I want to get more comfortable." And they start getting very uncomfortable trying to have sex in the car. So, uh they decide, "Oh, I got some blankets in the back, we can go lie down." They go do that and uh <laughs> next thing you know when they pick up on them cut back to them later on, they're lying on the grass and they realize the car radio sounds gone, so the car's been stolen. Uh, and, uh, uh, oh, oh there's also a part here where there are people peeping in the car, which I, I, I probably should have actually look to see whether those are the people who end up stealing the car later on, because you do see who steals the car. Um, and he's trying to show off her about um, hunting, too, where he's talking about having another vehicle, a Jeep, and he goes, oh, yeah, you know, I, I hunt uh, bears and, and deer and stuff like that, and at first he thinks he's impressing her with his lies, and then she's like, I think it's horrible to kill animals like that. He goes, oh, yeah, but, you know, with the bears, I figure... It's them or me, and then she's basically like, "Oh, that's a fair point." Yeah, <laughs> you got a point there too. Uh, so they're basically now left without a car. When they're wandering in the dark, they're talking about the the, the she's talking about the goat killer, and there's this whole long sequence where she's describing it, and he's just basically like, "Who do you think's going to take regionals this year?" <laughs> he's ignoring her completely. Uh, eventually, they start hearing goat sounds, so uh, they're hiding in the bushes. And all of a sudden, I know where she disappears. He thinks she's been killed by the goat killer. But Ron Howard sneaks up on him, who we're going to find out later why he was here. Because he was kicked uh, uh, kicked out of the car by his girlfriend. And uh, she's basically saying, hey, why don't we go get your... Debbie?" saying, why don't we go get your Jeep? And he's like, oh, no, I got that in the garage. And it's like, hey, where's my car, Toad? Because Ron Howard doesn't realize the car that was stolen was his car. Because Toad's saying, no, I put that in a garage or whatever. Uh, and uh, there's uh, next time where Ron Howard leaves... We cut back to Tone and he's just puking his guts out. Uh, and I do love the reactions of all the people here. It's like, that looks like what happened to Billy Weber, but that was 10 years ago. When I Last time I saw a puking like that was 10, old, 10 odd years ago. <laughs> uh, and he's like, and the other person's like, on his knees like a dog, just like old Ginger. <laughs> uh, after he's uh, puking his guts out or done puking his guts out, he finds the car, he gets it hot-wired, uh, and uh, the the people who come up, who actually stole the car, come up, and I love the way he tries to talk himself out of this. Here he goes, oh yeah, you know, uh, somebody stole our car. I mean, I mean. We lost our car. And and what I'm trying to say is I want to thank you for finding our car. Uh, There's a bit of a fight that ensues here. Toad's getting pounded. I love Debbie. It's like, it's actually very comical, but not in like the obvious way where you're even going to notice it unless you're looking for it. The way that she's fighting is she's basically very lightly smacking them with her purse over the head. And it's not even like a fighting. It's basically like tap, tap, tap. Uh, At this point, Milner comes up and he saves the day. He punches them out and uh, um, Toad uh, saved by Milner. And uh, when he decides to, uh, uh, or he decides to fess up to Debbie or whatever uh, that it's not his car and all that, first it looks like she's just walking away. In the end, she decides to come back and have a conversation. You know, I actually had a good time tonight. You know, we saw a holdup. We had the car stolen. I will get. I got to watch you get sick. I had a pretty good time. And he goes, well, well. I guess you could say I have a pretty good time almost every night. Uh, then he's saying, you know, oh, uh, you know, I do have a Vespa. Now the first time he's honest with her, I have a Vespa if you like. Well, that's almost like a motorcycle. And I love motorcycles. It's kind uh, of like how the Oz <laughs>
0: Network is almost a podcast.
1: Like Paul Amat. Matt. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yes. Oh, well, that too. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> one of the great last lines here is where she's saying, oh, that's almost like a motorcycle. And I love motorcycles. He goes, oh, I wish you'd said that earlier. We wouldn't have had to have gone through all the fun tonight. <laughs> Uh, But basically, he's he's gonna get a second shot with her, anyways. Which uh, to me, this is like this is there's not a lot of depth to this story, but like this is the fun story. This is the one where every single scene is hilarious. These two actors play brilliantly off each other. I mean, I definitely don't disagree with Candy Clark, who had almost no acting experience, getting an Oscar nomination for this movie. Um, I think that some of the credit has got to go to Charles Martin Smith because I'm like, it's their chemistry together that really delivers on this one. And I think it's that
0: it's similar to the. The Paul and Matt one where it's sort of I don't say odd couples but like people who maybe shouldn't be together but then get together and then they end up liking yeah. each other by the end of it you know and it's I guess it's the, the geek trope with the hot girl like you know mm. can't buy me love and all those kind of things right so yeah I, I, I think I enjoyed this one the most Um, did I say that about Paul and Matt before? I'm not going to say that about everyone but no I, li- <laughs> I, li- I just kind of like this one because I just kind of like the way that Toad's just going along and trying to like fit in and and I kind of like the dynamics with this girl. And it's kind of, it's funny. And I just, I fucking love that store. I just love that guy. <laughs> hey, it's 12.15. Thanks for asking me. Like he just walks on every girl? set. yeah. He loves being asked the time. He gets off on that shit. <laughs> He's got his own podcast, The Time with Johnny from American Graffiti. <laughs> Did you do you have like a we had in Australia. I don't know if it was just an Australian thing or it was an every country thing. do You have the clock person that you call up and it tells you the time? Did you have a thing like oh, that? Oh yeah, we used to have that. Yeah. The other thing was like 1194. This is one for the kids listening. Back when you before you had mobile phones and you had like, you know, you had dial up phones like the yeah. home phones, whatever you call them. And there was like, I think it was 1194 was the time and 1196 was the weather. And basically, you dialed it. And like, sometimes I would just get bored. <laughs> that was my childhood. <laughs> I want to know the time. Because that was like the accurate times. If you wanted to set your microwave or your clock, mm-hmm. like, and it was just literally a guy. Power who
1: goes out, you need to check.
0: Yeah. So literally, this it would be a recorded message where a guy is like, at the third stroke, it'll be 11, 14, and 20 seconds.
1: Dit, dit,
0: dip. At the third stroke, it'll be 11, 14, and 30. And that's all it was. That's all it was.
1: Um, you know, entertaining. We're basically writing our own American graffiti here. Yeah. I mean, th- th- this is the same idea George Lucas had is all these things that just aren't a thing anymore. Uh, Jamie and I were just talking the other day about, um, uh, or some, somebody I work with was mentioning uh, the TV guide that used to be on the channel, mm. where it would show the next hour and a half mm-hmm. of what's on TV. Mm-hmm. And if you have nothing to watch, you're like, oh, what's going to be on at eight 30? Because I, I, I don't see anything on right now. And you would literally be waiting until what w- if 8.30, you'll be waiting for seven o'clock to roll around so you can see what will be on at 8.30. Yeah. And then you got to wait for them to roll all the channels. You, we are making an American Graffiti here. We, we all
0: remember the, the newspaper days where you'd have to get the newspaper to see the, the TV guide. I'm pretty sure I've told this story yeah. before, but when I was working at a newspaper and I was sort of on the little beat town regional newspaper, it was a weekly newspaper. I was the only reporter and it was a pretty small thing. I had like five pages of, you know, paper to write for. And, and that's not a lot of paper to write for when you've got a lot of shit happening in this shithole of a town. But I there was a middle section, which we, each week was a TV guide for the week. And I'm like, well, if we remove the TV guide, we get an extra four pages worth of content. So I went to my editor. I'm like, look, it's, it's it was like 2016 at the time. It's 2016. Who needs a fucking TV guide? He like, he got so serious. He looked at me. He's like, no. And what are you talking about? It's like, (laughs) we removed the TV guide once from this paper and we will never do that again because the amount of complaints, abuse, everything that we got, (laughs) because we removed it for one week. I basically had to change my name. I had to leave the country. I had to go into witness protection. I am never doing that again. So if you want to do it, you can put your name on it because I'm not doing it. So that's how protective people are of TV guides in newspapers still to this day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of these things like uh, that, that it's passed, but like, you'll still see that it's like, Movie ads, you know, like mm. you, you'll still see in the newspaper, these are the show times for movies. We don't do that anymore. Can go on it.
0: We don't, you don't, though, those have been removed from at least the papers that I've read. Um, but I remember that vividly. But, I remember that was the exciting, like you turn to whatever page in the classifieds and you'd have this whole, like, wow, these are the movies yeah. that are on.
1: Like when you get something that's been a thing for so long, you basically have to wait for everybody who's used to this to die. And it sounds cruel, but it, it's like the 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 phone books. Yeah, everybody gets the yellow pages, right? And I remember one year I, I was just I saw an ad for somebody wanted help delivering the yellow pages. And I'm like, I'm not doing anything this week. I can make a little extra money. Let me do this. And I remember the guy telling me this like, yeah, there's actually quite a few people who specifically request these still mm. because it's all those senior citizens who don't want to go on a phone. But it's like until those people die out. You can't get rid of things like the yellow pages altogether. When I was
0: in scouts, that was one of our volunteer things we had to do each year. We had to like deliver uh, phone books for the community. But no, like I was having a conversation with this recently about someone because like I think you and I, like I know you're a little bit older, but I still think we're of that same generation where I think we kind of are in both periods of time where it's like like, I'm still a pen and paper guy. So like I still have a physical diary that if I'm writing, like if I've got a recording in two weeks, I will write it in my physical diary. I work better that way. I have a digital, like a Google calendar for work, which I'm not a huge fan of, but I kind of need it. So I've kind of got a foot in both camps. So that if all of a sudden, you know, like something old school was taken away from me, I can still adapt to something new school. Mm-hmm. It's just more of a case of, I still prefer certain things. Like I still, I don't stream. I don't like streaming services. I like to own things. So like, I don't like to have that thing taken away from me. I'm still very... And that's when these are those moments when you start to feel quote old, when all of a sudden you're saying or doing things and people look at you like, why are you still writing that in a diary? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. like, whereas, you know, 10 years ago that everyone did it. You know what I mean? Whereas now it's like, why are you doing that? Like you don't call people anymore. It's purely like if I get a contact at work, Ben, here's this person's number for an interview to get them on the show. You used to call people. Now it's send them a text. Like Need an email.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway,
0: Ben and Colin are old. The, 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 the you know, new podcast from the creators we, we, of that show that has more followers than Paula Matt.
1: We, we talk about like, we're toying the line between like, okay, we still get the old, With my notes for American graffiti are on my phone.
0: Mine are my on notes a notepad. For 20,
1: well, my notes for 24 are on a notepad. So <laughs> I, I, I
0: can't do it on a phone. Like I literally have to always, like this entire notebook is just notes. Like this here is 24 yeah. season two, episode 22. There's notes for that. If you want to look at it, but, um, It's just like, it's just, people work in different ways. I still like a physical copy of a magazine. Like my, when I was in Tassie recently, my auntie, who's, you know, nearly twice my age, she basically gets a online subscription to like all these magazines and reads them on her iPad. I'm like, great. That's fantastic. I still want a physical copy of a magazine. I just like it. I just like the touch, the feel. Digital books. I like a real book in my hand. Like it just, it's, it's things like that. Anyway, tangent. I like this story. Um, It's fun and I enjoy it. That's my point
1: <laughs> that that was where he knew that yes that was the funniest joke that's a good joke. write that one down it's I liked it I enjoy it
0: I hear that all the time I have sex <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> The fuel needs to take you a while to
0: think. Like, <laughs> you got to start something here. The later response, And you're like, oh, oh, I got it. Oh. Oh. Whoa, that's not even the wrong
1: clip. <laughs> that's what I meant to play. <laughs> it's very uh, magical. You know what? One of the things I really like about this movie is, and this is something that everybody's sort of seen that uh, that that thing that's shared on the internet now a lot. It's like, uh, just just... The, it shows you a picture of a bunch of kids outside playing with their bikes and stuff like that. I was like, All of us one day did this for the last time and didn't realize it, you know? Yeah. That's what American Graffiti is. It's like, it, it's it's about, this is the last time that any of these people, none of these people realize that this will never happen again, you know? Yeah, this, this could Except be our last ever podcast. It could be, yes. I mean, it would be appropriate if it is. I mean, if, we, if we get Paul Lamad on, where's, we'll have at least one
0: more. Where's my book of offensive things I haven't said yet? Let's go out with a bang. <laughs> so
1: the Nazis... Um, <laughs> not that bad uh all right we got two left we got our two big stars Ron Howard and Richard Dreyfuss I
0: think Ron like weirdly I think Ron Howard you can probably get done the quickest look like, I know he's like the yeah. star, but I feel like Richard I've Dreyfuss is no the notes. main story
1: yeah exactly I mean their two stories do tie together so I'm glad we did save these for last but uh uh so yeah Ron Howard now the actress uh opposite of Cindy Williams uh she also went on like to her. basically she capitalized big time on American graffiti the same way that Ron Howard did where Ron Howard got happy days picked up, which he had already filmed before American graffiti, but nobody saw it. And then Cindy Williams becomes the star of Laverne and Shirley with Penny Marshall, which was a spin-off of happy days. I
0: weirdly, sorry, like to interrupt, but like, I weirdly thought she looked familiar. Not that I ever really watched mm. Laverne and Shirley, but like, I know yeah. what the people look like. So I was okay, that makes sense. All right, there you go.
1: Yeah. Uh, and uh, funny enough, even though Ron Howard basically was jumping to be in this movie, uh, Cindy Williams, she had auditioned for this. She was up for being in the movie, but she wanted any of the female parts except for this. And when they called up and said, listen, George Lucas, he wants to hire you to play. Uh, well, Lori is the name wants to hire you to play Lori. She basically says, I think I'm going to pass. And like, wait, but you wanted to be in this movie. It's like, yeah, but I wanted to be Debbie. I wanted to I, I would have even been the 12 year old girl. <laughs> Lori is the boring character. And they basically had to talk her into doing it. They're like, listen. This movie is going to come out. Diff- this isn't just some cheap movie. This movie is going to, this guy knows what he's doing. Everybody in this movie is going to be interesting. It's going to be unique. Do the movie. And they basically had to twist her arm to do it. And she's like, yeah, And then the movie completely changed my life. And they were right. Like I- I- in the end, she actually says that she was happier playing Lori because one of the scenes that she hadn't even read because they didn't get like a full script. They just did the screen test and all that was the breakup scene that kind of starts this. Where he's in the car and she thinks he's about to propose or something like that. And in the end, he's like, yeah, so I think seeing other people is not such a bad idea. Mm. And that she said this literally happened to her. The exact same thing with her high school boyfriend before going off to college or whatever. She got dumped the exact same way. And so in the end, she she loved playing this character, was able to bring some of that to herself. Um, and she died earlier so- this
0: year, I can say. We didn't kill her. So rip, we didn't. Yes. Cindy. <laughs>
1: we waited to cover this. Wait, wait, was it, was it before or after anniversary month was originally planned?
0: Uh, well before beginning of the January, we're talking. So, okay,
1: Good. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so um, they kind of have, the, well, she agrees with them, but obviously is very upset about it. Um, They go off to the dance, uh, which uh, Paul and Matt didn't want to go to because it was for kids. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the other things. It's funny. I never actually realized that. He decided to not hang out with the rest of his friends at this dance because it was four kids. Meanwhile, he ends up literally hanging out with a kid for the whole movie. I, I should probably should have. I'm, I'm smart. This them. is like that. This is like that. Revenge of the Sith. How did this happen? We're smarter than this. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, them. But but they go to the dance and it's just a lot of awkward tension between them. Now, this is brilliantly filmed. It, it, it's crazy what they're able to do on such a low budget movie. Uh, but all of these extras Basically, George Lucas or, or the casting director, or whatever, had called up and just asked, What type of athletic people do you have that could do a lot of dancing on very little choreography? And essentially, what they did is this is a room full of gymnasts and other athletes and oh. other clubs. Yeah. Well, one, one, you're about to see who somebody you actually do know who's going to have a connection to Ron Howard. Um, uh, Ronnie Howard, by is, the way. Can we just call Ronnie, him Ronnie that's Howard? Right. He's, uh, still, that's, he's still, because. <laughs> The Andy Griffith Show, like I, I mean, th- that was another one of those shows. It was like, oh, they'd air it in the three-hour blocks or whatever. They, they always, uh, it's the Andy Griffith Show. Du, 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 du. I can hear the theme song. I can't remember anything. the, the show. show. It's the Oz Network. Uh, but yeah, it was always with little Ronnie Howard. <laughs> he still is capitalizing Ronnie Howard I think here. we should change
0: uh, our theme for 2024. I think we should redo it in like the style of the 50s. Be like, it's the Oz
1: Network.
0: With bum, 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 little Colin Hilding and <laughs> Ben Waterworth. Benny Waterworth. <laughs> Benny Waterworth.
1: Uh, Benny and Post Show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't
0: knock it. Uh,
1: <laughs> anyway, so. The dance sequence is like brilliantly choreographed. Like it looks like this is one of these things where, like, oh, this must have taken days to film. But this was all done in like one night. They basically got in here. They staged all these dance scenes, like many different angles, the band performing live, the bathroom scenes, the dance scene, all that, even the stuff outside was done in a single night. Uh, so, I mean, this was very much like guerrilla filmmaking. Like we're making this very quick. Uh, but the you two bathrooms. It's scene- very much
0: like Gorillas in the mist. And I'm like, I see the comparison. <laughs>
1: Gorilla Radio, you, you remember that's so, there we go that's what that's what that era right? Lights out, Gorilla Radio. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we would have been uh, so good back then.
1: <laughs> but, so the, the the two bathroom scenes you basically have the guys in the bathroom, uh, and then you have the girls in the bathroom. So the the guy it's bathroom the scene song. here, I love where uh, Androgyny Garber's
0: song what a, Androgyny girls in Does the men's room, men in uh, the room. I don't think I know that room. one. I think you're your androgyny. Yeah, good song.
1: I'll I'll take your word for it. I don't know. I'll send you a link. (laughs) I thought you were saying there was a garbage song playing, like when they're in the bathroom in the (laughs) background. You're like, hey, Cadillac Flash and the the Continental kids are playing garbage.
0: (laughs) Flying cherry lips. Go, baby. Go, go. Look at them go. I didn't
1: think they'd get away with playing Queer So The Queer (laughs) in 1962. (laughs) The world is not enough. (laughs) Push it. (laughs) I want to hear this Cadillac guy going, Push it. Whispering.
0: And to clarify, that's not push it real good. Wrong song.
1: So anyways, yeah, the Ron Howard scene. You do start to see Ron Howard is a bit of a bully here, too. When you got that kid who's putting on the zit cream or whatever, he goes, hey, everybody, look, he's got zit makeup. But then Ron Howard's like, hey, can I have that for a second? He starts, like, smearing it on his face. He's basically saying, oh, yeah, you know, Laurie and I, we're still together, but we decided we'll see other people. Goes, Oh, so you get to screw around, right? I read you <laughs> uh, and then the, the girl scene in the girl's washroom. Now, the girl that Sidney uh, Williams is talking to here that you won't recognize her because she was legitimately a teenage high school student at the time doing this. But he, this is a future Academy Award nominee as well. Uh, so this movie has multiple. Rene Academy Awards. Well, we wish uh, one day. This is somebody who Ron Howard would direct to an Academy Award nomination in 1995. This is Kathleen Quinlan uh. who plays Tom Hanks wife in Apollo 13. Her first role, she was just one of the gymnasts at the school where they said, we need athletic people for the dance sequence. And of all the kids that showed up, they picked her out and said, can you be the girl who acts in this scene and then the scene where, you know, uh, uh, Laurie takes the other guy to dance instead of Ron Howard. Uh, so is there, or she may not have ever gotten into acting and she not done this, but uh, she didn't realize. So she actually tells a story on the making of where she didn't realize that uh, movies were shot out of sequence. So when they had the dance stuff going on and they were shooting that, she decided to run into the shot and start dancing around like everybody else. And they basically had to sh- shout cut and they're like, uh, so Kathleen, um, right now your character's in the bathroom. And she's like, how is that possible? We're not filming in the bathroom. It's like, yes, we know. We don't film these things in order. Mm-hmm. So she literally, so they basically had to haul her off the set and retake the scene because of like you can't be in two places at once. That's a future Academy Award nominee right there. <laughs> Gave Ron Howard the idea. The things you learn. Uh, um, so they end up getting put on the spot here, uh, to have a dance because he's the former class president. She's like the senior, uh, what cheerleading uh, a leader, whatever.
0: Don't they say she's a head cheerleader?
1: Yeah, head cheerleader. Yeah, so like the cheerleading captain or whatever. Um, and they they start having. This is actually one of the I, th- I think probably the best scene they have when they're arguing while dancing very discreetly basically going over like how they got together and it's all these funny stories of, like you didn't even have the guts to ask me out and everything and then it's like even my father asked why you wouldn't kiss me and he's like oh your father knew about this the father he must be gay he's definitely gay <laughs> <laughs> he's not not kissing you <laughs> um but then it actually turns into like this really nice scene where she's like oh and then we did this and then she you don't remember anything and he's like oh yeah i remember and then the next time they cut back to them it's a fast dance number and they're still slow dancing. I was <laughs> like, okay, they've obviously made up. Um, they kind of leave uh from here and uh go off and do their own thing, uh, which they, they basically disappear from the movie for a while here. But one of the scenes where they're off driving, or I also mentioned the other deleted scene that was put back in the movie here is when they're dancing, uh the, the principal or whatever that comes up to them and says, The pedo. No, you guys should No, not the pedo. The principal. <laughs> the pedos the pedos talking to uh, Richard Dreyfus, right now, yeah. <laughs> but the principal, who's like, "You guys are done. you can't touch oh, like that." Uh, you the you don't
0: don't you go kiss a duck scene?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why don't you go kiss a duck like another thing in 1962? <laughs> That's insult. my favorite insult ever. Why don't <laughs> you go kiss, kiss a duck? duck. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but then this guy's like, "You just bought yourself six weeks of suspension." And he's like, "Hey, do you remember I graduated last year?" And they they kind of make up and run off here. But that was one of the other scenes that they deleted, which. I can't imagine this movie working without that because like yeah. you don't have a transition to them all of a sudden being happy in the next scene. Uh but the studio just decided to cut things just for the sake of cutting it. Well best swearing uh, so back we, then.
0: Why don't you kiss a duck in C17? Duck.
1: <laughs> but uh so one of the stories on this is that it was such a low budget movie that the actors had nowhere to sit in between takes. So Ron Howard was one who kind of led the charge where he went up to Francis Ford Coppola because Coppola was the money guy, like this is the the big name here, and said, "We understand this is a low budget movie. We're all for it. We love, you know, doing this like, you know, really cheap. uh everybody pitch in, all hands on deck type. We got to this done quick and fast. But is there any way we can get chairs? There are people sitting on car hoods. There are people sitting on curbs. We have nowhere to sit." Coppola told them, "We have no money in the budget for chairs." Then you get Coppola in the same documentary telling the story. It's like. Yeah, I mean, we we could have bought them chairs, but we wanted them to get this boot camp experience of making movies. Like this was part of them having this built into their character, where they they're like, "We're we got to work hard for this." So basically, they didn't have chairs. But in one of the scenes here, where Ron Howard and Cindy Williams are driving around, Ron Howard says, "We're filming this scene," and Richard Dreyfus, because he had nowhere else to sit, is actually asleep in the back seat next to the cameraman because he had nowhere else to sit. Wow. <laughs> um, So they end up going off uh, and Ron Howard's trying to have sex with her. She says, no, no, we talked about this before. He goes, oh, I love his little guilt trip. This is where, yeah, this guy, eh, maybe not the, you couldn't get away with this now. Uh, He says, come on. Uh, It's like, you don't want me to forget about you, do you? (laughs) And she's and he's, then he's like, "Well, now you're just lying there." And he's like, "Well, you want to do it, just go ahead." I think this is one of the two times she's like, "Just punch me already!" <laughs> just punch me already. And he's like, "Oh, don't get all self-righteous about me after you talked about watching your brother in the when watching your brother in the shower or something like that." What well, is it
0: like? No, he said something. Yeah, like along the lines, "Don't you, you know? I know you like it." You told me about that time you watched your brother. And she's yeah. like, "I told you never, never to bring that." <laughs> you're like, yeah. "Excuse me."
1: And this is where he gets kicked out of the car where he ends up meeting up with Toad later on. Uh, But it's such a weird line. But again, I kind of love that this movie has these little weird moments where it's like, how are you? Like every one of these stories has these moments where it's like, how are you supposed to read this? Is she like, you know, think dreaming of incest or is it one of these things where she hit puberty and she's like, that's what a penis looks like when she accidentally sees him in the shower or something. Um, They also uh, do touch on here, uh, him leaving for college and, we start to get the first hints at what's going to happen with Ron Howard's character later on, where she's talking about how her brother—by the way, Richard Dreyfuss is her brother—has been going on and on about not wanting to go off to college, Wait. thinking maybe he should stay. Right. So
0: the brother, you didn't get that their brother and sister. So the brother she's watching is Richard Dreyfus. Richard
1: Dreyfus. Whoa, I didn't realize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, well, I that mean, makes sense it, then. Yeah, that's all right. In all fairness, they, they, he does identify. He says one point in the no, movie, does, "little yeah. sister." No, no, no. I and did, then
0: because he calls a sis, so I did see that. And but then I, they said mom and dad. Yeah, it didn't correlate. But no, excuse like, me. is fine when it's Richard Dreyfuss. <laughs> it's
1: if it's Richard Dreyfus, I mean, Jamie's like, if that was my brother, I'd be watching him in the shower. Yeah, uh, so am I. <laughs> but, but yeah, when when he's saying to or she's describing the story about him saying he might not leave, and then Ron Howard's like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense," and she's almost looking like really. He goes, well that makes sense for him but not for me and these two guys are going to switch roles that's what this whole movie is about well he's doing his sister. But, uh, <laughs> he's going to do his sister yeah uh so af- after he has this little thing with toad which we already talked about he's in the diner and the same girl that toad keeps trying to pick up earlier on the the waitress girl is suddenly trying to pick up ron howard because it's like oh so you broke up huh and then she gives another one of these weird lines where it's like, and when i say weird line i'm like i actually kind of like that there's these things where there's no context Because this is like we're just dropped into a day in the life of these characters so many movies like you mentioned half the movies like ferris bueller's day off the breakfast club dazed and confused all these movies nothing like those movies existed before american graffiti i mean this was the original and that's kind of like what these movies do let's let's have these things that are never explained it's just a weird thing and then the audience left wondering but she says to him about you know well let's just go back and have some fun it doesn't have to be like last time this time it could just be for fun I'm like wait did he cheat on Cindy Williams before mm. because she says like it doesn't have to be like last time like was last time when he was single what was that uh but then he she basically comes back so Lori comes back and sees him through the window figures oh he's moved on so I'm gonna store him off I'm gonna go find Harrison Ford. But she leaves just a little too late. This is like a bit of a cliche, but it's like it's handled well in this movie. It's like, oh, you know what? I really don't want to cheat on her. Of course, right after she saw you looking like you were going to cheat on her. um, She finds the first guy she can, which is Harrison Ford, decides to jump in his car. Uh, I love Harrison Ford's life here. Hey, 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 baby. (laughs) (laughs) It's like this very long, drawn out, deep voice, Fat Albert or something. Uh, And she's like, you know, uh, I'm not in the mood for talking. Just sit there and drive and we'll do just fine. And he's like, okay. And then he starts like singing like No, yeah.
0: I'm in the mood for <laughs> Like, Is that the only time Harrison Ford's ever sang in something?
1: Oh, it's a musical. Actually, funny, on, touching on Ron Howard here. Oh, uh, no, They weren't touching on Ron. <laughs> he was, the, that's what his sisters were doing. Uh, the, were true Hollywood story. To touching <laughs> on, Ron touching on Ron Howard. Touching
0: on Ron Howard. An ABC exclusive this Sunday night. <laughs> Starring Paul Lamad as Ron Howard <laughs> and Bryce Dallas Howard as <laughs> the victim, <laughs> with Candy Clark as Suzanne Summers <laughs> and Jaja Binks in his return to TV. <laughs>
1: Misa touched on the doodle <laughs> by Ron Howard. No, he now it's Ron Howard touching people. That's- I was touching Ron Ron Howard so far so far on this podcast Ben's called Larry the Cable Guy a pedo I haven't Um, uh, well you know Larry the Cable Guy you did I called Pedro Pascal a pedo uh and now Ron Howard's touching people what are we doing
0: (laughs) we're getting sued this is our last episode Tom Cruise is still not suing us the big gay man that he is um, so we're going to get other people to sue us. Paul and Matt won't sue us. He's got not enough people to care.
1: I just want Roma Downey. And and what's the other girl from touched by an angel back for the sequel series, touched by a Ron Howard <laughs> touched by an angel.
0: When are we doing after we finish how to make an American quilt? We will be doing touched by an angel.
1: There we go. Judging Amy. That's a month judging Amy touched by an angel. Uh, was he a Providence? That was another one of those. I don't know those Providence. Uh, Dr. Asian Quinn, women.
0: Medicine Woman. Oh,
1: yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> My mum used to
0: love Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. You could never interrupt her when she was watching a Dr. <laughs> Quinn, Medicine Woman. There she is,
1: Jane Seymour, popping around. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, Ron Howard. Uh, so two things with Ron Howard. One, Ron Howard, like I said, he was enrolled in film school because he knew he wanted to become a director and just was doing acting to pay his bills. Uh, Ron Howard was the one guy in the set that George Lucas let in on his method of madness with with acting or whatever, um, because on like day one, Ron Howard was basically hanging around, and he went up to George Lucas and said, "Listen, I'm actually going to USC. I understand that you graduated from USC." And George was like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's, that's fantastic. Great. <laughs> I'm George Lucas. That's <laughs> amazing. <Anyway. laughs> so good." But, <laughs> but. He said, listen, I just would really like to. Like, I don't I'm not going to ask you a bunch of questions. I just really like to observe you if I can just follow you around. So basically, Ron Howard, anytime he wasn't filming a scene, was just standing behind George Lucas watching him direct. Ooh. And he kind of says, like, I I, I learned how to direct from this guy. And of course, years later, uh, Ron Howard would be handed the um, uh, Willow uh, franchise from George. George Lucas wrote Willow and Ron Howard was the director in that. Uh, and then we mentioned on The Phantom Menace that Ron Howard's responsible for parts of the pod race, too. no. Maybe. Yeah, so... That was a long time George ago. It was Lucas, like, 50 hours of that cold. He, he showed... They never had, like, test screens, but he showed it to a group of his other filmmaker friends, like Spielberg and and all those guys, and Ron Howard was one of them, and they were all talking about the movie afterwards, and one of the things... And this is, like, I don't know, like, two months before the movie comes out. Maybe two and a half months before the movie comes out. And Ron Howard is like, that pod race sequence is incredible, but you know it would be really great if you had a moment where something else goes wrong with the pod? So, like, the, those little things about Anakin having, like, the engine go out, and you know, having to pull the, the the cables closer and stuff like that. Uh, those were basically Ron Howard's suggestions were done in like reshoots later on. So, I mean, that, that he was getting his his foot wet in the Star Wars universe right there. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, she goes off and drives with Harrison Ford. He sings I'm the Mood for Love, which this was one of the other songs that was one of the songs that uh, they cut. From, they did cut this. This is one of the scenes they cut from the movie, the, the third one. Uh, but when Ron Howard was being offered this movie when he was meeting with George Lucas and again, they didn't give the actress a script. They just said, these are a couple lines to do for screen tests. I kind of want to meet you. Uh, he basically said, listen, I, I, I think this is a really good idea for a movie. I like it, but I just got to let you know, George, I don't know how to sing. And George looks like, okay. <laughs> and he goes, so like, I really can't sing. I don't know if I'm the best for this movie. He goes, um, I don't see it being a problem. He goes, but I can't sing. I thought this was a musical. And George was like, yeah, the movie is a musical. He goes, okay, but I can't sing. He goes, don't worry about it. <laughs> that was their entire conversation. <laughs> uh, because, of course, George Lucas envisioned this movie as a musical with music always playing in the background. Like, we've mentioned Wolfman Jack a couple times. I mean, he's basically a lead character in this movie because every scene with the exception, I think there's only two scenes in this movie that do not have a radio playing in the background and everybody's listening to the same radio. Uh, it's the um, the the scene with the the goat killer sequence because they said, we want quiet for this. And then the scene coming up with the cop car and Richard Dreyfuss. Other than that, it's music Waldwall music but like that was this movie was designed as a musical it's just it's not people singing and dancing but george lucas still saw it as a musical it's, it's, that that is the most george lucas conversation ever oh yeah it is a musical but i can't sing don't worry about it <laughs> like that's just it don't that's even bother him explaining. on the
0: show they just like you know at the time of recording this we just interviewed johnny weir which was fantastic yeah and yet you know that guy's basically interviewing himself which makes our job easy but imagine <laughs> george like you know jaja binks and natalie portman i'm like yeah that's true they were in the movie. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, but I mean, the, the whole Ron Howard and Cindy Williams storyline, like, it's funny because this is the one I have very few notes on. There's not, they do, cut, they probably cut away from them the most, but like, it's an important story because this is the companion to Richard Dreyfuss' story. And also, you have these two guys leaving, and then there's also the other two guys who are just the guys being left behind. But Richard Dreyfus doesn't really get that big moment. Ron Howard's the one who gets that big moment at the end of the movie. So, I mean, mm. their breakup scene, I think is fantastic.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I mean, let's. Ron Howard's character is a bit of a dick, uh, if we're being completely mm-hmm. honest. Um, But yeah, I kind of like, I, I like the dynamic between him and, and Laurie and just kind of everything that goes with that. And it's, because it's kind of, it is interesting because even in that scene when he's kind of like, oh, yeah, I want to go full around and, and be touching people with Ron Howard. And she's all kind of like, <laughs> she's kind of like, hmm, okay. And then like, it's not played in a way that it's very like dramatic or how could you, because even then when there's like tension between the two of them, like, it, I don't know if this sounds weird, but it's almost ahead of its time because I feel movies back then didn't really do that level of like it was one way or the other, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like. I kind of like the way that they they do that and play off that, Um, and yeah, I I I found you know again there's not a whole lot to touch on it, and again you know it's Ron Howard, which we established that two of the four anniversary movie months we're doing are directly connected to Ron Howard because he obviously directs Rush. So
1: oh yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. We're sort of
0: doing half Ron Howard month this month. The
1: last great Ron Howard movie. (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly. So uh, there's a I always forget that Ron Howard is the director of Rush. (laughs) But um, yeah, I think that it's, it's not groundbreaking, but it's still good. And I actually really like Cindy Williams. It's sad that she's dead. I mean, we all got to die one day, but like she's only 75. That's still young, spring chicken. Harrison I mean, Ford's like 407 and doing Indiana Jones movies.
1: And you say, I'm not talking about like the American graffiti interviews, but even if you saw interviews with her before she died, she's like a female Like she, she looked like 30 or 40 still when she died at 75.
0: Yeah, yeah, she just kind of maintained her age essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add. I I do kind of like it uh, throughout that, but yeah, you're right. Like the sort of the ending bit with him, it's sort of, that's the moment. And I wasn't expecting that. And that was kind of a a good thing with that. I was going to touch on um, the, I'm glad you mentioned, well, I guess we'll get to this Richard Dreyfus because I've got questions over the highest, the dance scene with this pedo teacher guy. Um, But I do, (laughs) why don't you go kiss a duck? <laughs> <laughs> like what like I mean the the kids say in the 50s, 60s, whatever, this period when our parents were young. Like, well my mum if 1962 my mum would have been two, my dad would have been one. So uh they weren't in high school back then. But it's just that level of like that is seriously what passed off as an insult. Mm. Um, like I got called worse than that from my teacher, like called me names, um, <laughs> you know, but Anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's in, and it's, I mean, Ron Howard, cause he doesn't, when did he, like, when he went to direct, cause he stopped acting, like, right? Cause he won't act anymore, does
1: he? He No, I mean, he, um, I, I mean, he'll, might do cameos. Uh, he was actually, he's the voice of Arrested Development, which oh. he produced that show, but he's the narrator in every single episode. And he did eventually appear as himself on Arrested Development, but it, that, that's what he does for acting now, is cameos and all that. Uh, I'm trying to see when he started directing. So basically, uh, yeah within four years of this so he graduated film school and then after doing american graffiti studying george lucas and graduating film school he got his first directing job grand theft auto it looks like he mostly did actually i knew
0: knew, sorry to interrupt but like i remember when rush came out they kept talking about how his first film was kind of like a car-based film and Mm -hmm. i always hear the words grand theft auto and think oh they made a movie about it because that's one video game they've not made a movie about they surely will one day but yeah i i i knew that
1: Yeah, I mean, then he has Night Shift, which is like five years later. So basically, he's doing Happy Days when he directs his first low-budget movie. Waits till he leaves Happy Days, does Night Shift, which kind of has a cult following. Then in 84, he has Splash, which kind of becomes like this surprise hit. Followed by Cocoon, which becomes this massive surprise hit. Uh, Gung-Ho, I don't know what that is. And then Willow, which was like, we're going to give you a big one. So it's funny that the first bomb he had as a director was the one that George Lucas gave him this massive budgeted, supposed to be franchise, and then it bombs, but yet has a cult following today. And then you really get the string of like Parenthood, Backdraft, paul 13, Ransom, all that stuff. Which
0: Bryce Dallas, Texas, she's, um, she's kind of obviously getting a lot more into directing now. She does a lot of The Mandalorian yeah, and the other stuff. So I wonder if like that's just, you know, passing the torch on to the children or she's mm-hmm. always, you know, been. Can we just take a moment to Bryce Dallas Howard? Love her.
1: Yes. Oh, that's that's you literally did take a moment. There we go. (laughs) We took a moment. There we go. (laughs) Taking a moment with Bryce Dallas (laughs) followed by touching things with Ron Howard.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just want to show off Ron Howard walking around a room. Like let's let's take it out of the gutter. Hi, I'm Ron Howard. This is a pen. (laughs) I'm touching it. This is a mug.
1: I'm touching it. It it it. could be like. Uh, you know how cooking shows or things they'll very be very descriptive. It's like it has a hint of mint in this, yeah. or whatever. This would be like, mm, it's got a very light, smooth texture. It's almost like plastic.
0: <laughs> you know those stupid AMSR p- things where people are like, mm, I'm chewing oh, yeah. on a thing. Like it's just, it's that. I honestly like right now. I'm writing too many notes. I've written down six best of moments for this episode, Colin. Um, I think our, our best of 2023 is just gonna be the American Graffiti recap.
1: <laughs> Can we just do some ASMR on here too? Do we have any oh, chips left that I could do? I, loud chewing of? I read an article the
0: other day. Am I saying read an article? I did the 2023 thing where I read the headline. A woman is getting paid $10,000 on Twitch for people to watch her sleep. Fuck yeah. off.
1: You can do it too. I am
0: going to like, I remember when this became a thing, there were like the people in like Japan or Korea who would be paid thousands of dollars to sit there and eat fucking noodles. Like, like this is like, I want, I'm gonna like charge for people to watch me on this, like the behind the scenes. We can't even get people to pay for fucking Patreon. Does somebody gonna wanna actually see the video? Cause we don't release the video of this. So, yeah. you know, like, fuck off. Pay me $10,000 well, to sleep, I do it every night.
1: Listen, you could pay me $10 to watch Paul Lamatt's Twitter feed for six hours, okay? I will do it right now. I'm putting that out right right now. Somebody wants to sign up to our highest tier Patreon for a single month. I will do six straight hours of watching Paula Matt's Twitter feed.
0: With the amount of things we bribe people on this and Double R Seven <laughs> to sign up, we can't no even bribe one them. Does?
1: Hey, we have more followers than Paula Matt. I will, what is with, wrong with this world?
0: I, I will. I will have sex with you if you sign up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what? Wait, wait, wait. Me or the person who signs Colin. up? Colin with Colin? I. Well- <laughs> And I'm I'm sitting here as Cindy Williams is like, well, you want to just go ahead, just slug me already, Ben. <laughs> with and consent. Like, Come on, d- not about all the things you told me about watching your brother in the shower, Colin. With <laughs> consent,
0: if he agrees to it. I don't know why I went that direction. Um, I don't know. I'm just gonna start making lies. Like you can get tickets to <laughs> Taylor Swift because that's all that fucking people care about this week. Shut up with like seriously. Don't pay $1,000 to see a sellout perform. If you want to do that, you can see me.
1: It <laughs> sold out right I was the only one who paid. An audience of one, it's sold out right now. People
0: are paying right now with their time listening to this torture.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're left with uh, Richard Dreyfuss here. Richard Dreyfus slash Suzanne Summers. So, now you do know who Suzanne Summers is, right?
0: I am aware of the name. Wasn't she on like some 80s sitcom or something? Well, like there was that?
1: Threes Company, which was like a huge, like the, the Three's Company was basically by the time I was old time enough Danza. to watch those shows. No, that was uh, John Ritter. Tony Danza was the the boss. That's the thing; is they're all the same. (laughs) Can't tell the difference between any of those shows. I was so confident, like Tony Danza. Tony Danza. (laughs)
0: You're just like no, John Ritter. (laughs) Wow.
1: (laughs) Hold me closer,
0: John Ritter.
1: But, like, famously, uh, Three's Company was, like, huge. Like, it, it I think, already been cancelled by the time, you know, I had known the show existed, <laughs> but... Uh,
0: What's this? <laughs> Come and knock on my door. Da-da-da. Oh,
1: don't do that, I was gonna say! That's a show, it's like, the show itself is actually funny, but ever since I was a child, that theme song, it drives me up you the wall. You called like, me before for singing Why? that. Yeah, have you okay? Because so I was going to say, like everybody, everybody in my family <laughs> knows if you want to drive me up the wall, just start singing that song. I'm like, no, shut up, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> and yeah, I, I remember that show, uh, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago or whatever, we had like the classic TV show networks, which is how I was also able to see Laverne and Shirley for the first time. Uh, i would wait until the credits were over i would i would start the show and keep it on mute until the credits were over and then i would watch three's company because it's a it's a good show but uh yeah susan summers was one of the three's company people that then that show was like massive but the funny thing is when this movie she also had that step-by-step show did you remember watch that that in the 90s
0: oh wasn't that like a um a heartbreak show? high not heartbreak high well that's an australian show. what's the um one i'm thinking of that had mario land not mario land uh, mario <laughs> fucker uh- I know this the saved, saved by, by the, the bell. bell isn't wasn't that no. like a save by the bell show no no uh,
1: step by step was basically like a 90s twist on the Brady Bunch it's like these two families uh, come together yeah, yeah. so the parents all have all these grown kids and everything great uh great song by uh new kids on the block step by step yeah one of the better ones that we go. we will sing that on step patreon as well step. as watching Paul Amat's Matt's twitter oh, feed baby, While get ben, get ben having sex with somebody to that song
0: I will have uh, sex with Donnie Wahlberg <laughs> oh, who wouldn't?
1: I will, I will listen to the Threes Company theme. Colin the will watch Blue Patreon. Bloods. I will watch Blue Bloods. <laughs> With Donnie Wahlberg. Now we're getting really desperate. And will Will <laughs> I bet you you will be amazing. Well, the craziest thing will happen is that we will get a new Patreon subscriber by the end of this episode for the top tier, and you're gonna look and it's like Paul Lamette has <laughs> up Patreon.
0: And I will forget, I forget we do episodes like immediately afterwards. <laughs> so I'm like, what am I meant to be doing? But I'm just I'm just thinking now of a <laughs> of a um a, a remake right now three's company with like Will Estes Donnie Wahlberg and <laughs> 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 brand dresser sure let's let's go let's go down uh.
1: Oh, <laughs> ah. uh but i mean i don't think you you would have gotten this but the step-by-step show was like the tgif that was like family matters and i mean that was hmm. abc's thursday night you know must family matters they cool right yeah it was Friday, TGIF. I mean, the, the, and Step by Step was on there for like eight years or something like that. Like, it was one of these shows, that like, even in the 90s, people would always be like, oh, yeah, Step by Step, that show's still on. And, and people would watch it. It was popular, but like, it wasn't like anybody's favorite show. So she kind of had like a second life with that. But I went with like American Graffiti hit like its 20, 20th anniversary or 25th anniversary, whenever the DVD would have come out. I guess it would have been like 25. um that was when Suzanne Summers started doing all these interviews about it because people weren't as interested in talking to Richard Dreyfus and Ron Howard. They all want to talk about Suzanne Somers because she's literally here as a cameo in her on- screen debut because she was just a model. And the story of her getting hired for the movie is actually interesting too because they were just looking for somebody to drive the car and to be the girl that Richard Dreyfuss obsesses over. And she basically went to the casting call and there were 200 people in the waiting room. And she's like, Wow, I am not sitting here for the next six hours to just be told no. Uh, and so she starts trying to walk out, and the casting director was like, "Where are you going? Where are you going?" And she's like, "I, I, I just don't think you know that I need to sit here for seven hours. You know, you got too many people, and all these people are—they all are exactly like me. They're all blonde, hmm. you know. They're all beautiful. So what? What? what how am I going to get this?" And then he says, "Hey, but just so you know, the director really liked your picture. <laughs> so I'll see if I can sneak you in sooner." Uh, so he basically does like, you know, forty-five minutes later he says, Okay, George will see you right now. George will just sits down with her. It's like, hey here, how you doing? I really liked your picture. You're all blonde and you look like you could drive a car and stuff. <laughs> and you're hot. Uh, Take off your dress. <laughs> But then she basically leaves. And it's like, okay, thank you for coming. It's it basically like in and out in 60 seconds. And then she's like, oh, wow, I didn't end up waiting for seven hours. But like, I'm not getting that role. And like two weeks later, or, or, I don't think it was two weeks later. I think they called her back that end of that day. And they're like, all right, so you got the role. So she's like, wait, you should still have 150 people in your waiting room. So basically they snuck her in because George Lucas really likes her picture and met with her for 60 seconds. And then when she left, dismissed everybody else and we got the girl. <laughs> this is her. Uh, and obviously, he was to something because she wanted to become like a huge star. Uh, but uh, so Richard Dreyfuss is basically riding in the back of the car, and he sees Suzanne Somers driving the T Bird, and she just becomes like she becomes the Holy Grail or the Ark of the Covenant to this movie. Uh, this is the object he's out for, and and you constantly see. I don't even know if it's her filming the other scenes. You see that the car driving around, but she kind of mows the words "I love you" to him, and then drives off, and he just becomes obsessed with this girl. This, uh, now. I'm sure this is any 17-year-old boy who probably doesn't get Paul Matts or Harrison Ford-style action. <laughs> They're like that girl looked at me; she definitely uh, wants me. Not just
0: 17-year-old boys, calling 36-year-old men as well, <laughs>
1: even 36-year-old men. <laughs> I've heard. Uh, but he—it's funny though because Richard, like, you get like there's a tier of guys. Paul Lamat was like, this is this is the hot guy, right? You got Ron Howard, He's like, oh, this is this is the, the handsome, nice guy you could bring home. You got Toad, who it's like, ugh. And then you got like Richard <laughs> Dreyfus. <laughs> well, that, that's the whole point of his character, let's be honest. And then you got Richard Dreyfus, who's like, yeah, he could probably get a girl, but he's like, but they're not gonna be banging down his door, right? Uh, but he gives a line, She's like, she wants me. Somebody out there actually wants me. <laughs> Um. Uh, th- this is when he's at the dance and he encounters the creepy pedo teacher <laughs> Who is the he? teacher so this is based on a real guy um <laughs> not george lucas this is one of uh the the other screenwriters contributions because uh what george lucas did when he was forced to write his own script <laughs> because he paid somebody ten thousand for something he couldn't turn in uh the only storyline he couldn't really get was the ron howard storyline he's like i got richard dreyfuss like all these other ones but they kind of came up with this, the idea of the teacher, and then incorporated it into the Richard Dreyfus sequence to kind of break them off because they said when they were in high school, this was a teacher that they they had in their high school who would basically be be calling like sexy little things. He would be calling the the high school girls sexy little things and excusing himself, uh, and then yeah. he's off with Richard Dreyfus here, yeah. And and he gives his story, which it, it's it's actually a very important scene where this guy's telling his story about oh yeah, I went to college out Easter whatever, and it's like oh, I was only there for one semester and I came home. And he's saying, Oh, I'm thinking I might do the same thing. Um, and Jamie just sent me something cool if you know anything about it. We're, this, it's about American graffiti. Ooh. Oh, uh, thanks, Jamie, for your research. Is it a naked picture of Richard Dreyfus? She's researching. There's uh, a shirtless
0: Harrison Ford in this. So
1: 13. I'm going to save this for the end. We're going to use these 13 nostalgic facts about American graffiti. I will save something. For Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> But uh yeah, like this was a real teacher that they had in their high school who did this. I mean, when he's basically telling Richard Dreyfus, Oh yeah, I, I it becomes like I see the point of the scene. And then all of a sudden it gets interrupted where he's like, You need to excuse me. This is a little girl's like, Mr. Whatever, may I talk to you? Oh yes, yes. Please give me some privacy. And he's getting a little touchy feely like, It's it's weird, it's creepy, but it's like, but that's, that's one of the creepy. things that works. that's one of the things that works about this movie is you get anything that's kind of weird or creepy is that it's just sort of done in the background, like, oh, whatever, like it's a different time, right? um so he's off to molest somebody uh <laughs> he's this is ron how ron howard got the idea from this guy i could touch people like like oh, the oh, teacher
0: oh. from American graffiti. Off to molest somebody with ron howard yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and like how this movie doesn't feel the need to give you context really works in his favor because richard Dreyfus then needs another ride and he hooks up with this girl wendy who you only find out in like two or three scenes later is his ex-girlfriend um, I mean, you may not have even picked up on it. <laughs> I, I
0: honestly, at the time, was thinking it was uh, Ron Howard's girl. I'm thinking, like, is he hooking up with Ron Howard? Because they've got they've got that short dark hair, <laughs> they got the
1: same haircut. Yeah. Short haired women, they all look the same to Ben. Yeah. Uh, So he's basically tagging along with her, and then he sees the car, and he's basically trying to follow that that T-bird or whatever. That's the girl who says that she wants me. And you get the other. I love this girl driving the front seat. Like to me, she's the more interesting character. Oh, what? Because I should be in the back seat because they're women. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the one driving is, is the fun one because she's like, I know who she is. And she's basically saying she's the wife of this rich, you know, old jeweler guy. And he's like, no, she is not hooked up with some old guy or whatever. And then he starts basically what you now find out is his ex-girlfriend. Why don't you come in the back seat with me and get a little more comfortable or whatever? Uh, and as they're getting it on the back seat, the girl driving the car is like, look, it's that guy. I like, say something to him, you know, say something to to talk me up. And he goes, hey, 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 Johnny, how you doing? Yeah, good. How about you? Uh, yeah, not much going on. Anyways, here, uh, Bobby s- says she's madly in love with you and she trembles at the sight of your rippling biceps. <laughs> and the very next shot is like, get out of my car, <laughs> <laughs> get him out of there. <laughs> so now he's on his own. And this is where the majority of Richard Dreyfuss's storyline picks up, where he's now left on his own on the side of the road, just waiting for something. He's sitting on a car and you get these gang guys from like the Pharaoh's gang showing up, like very 1950s grease style gang. Greases. Oh. greasers here and uh they're like you know you know whose car you're sitting on it's like oh he's one of ours and he's like oh gee I'm sorry about that and this is where nervous Richard Dreyfus is the best because Richard Dreyfus is basically playing himself in this movie uh so Richard Dreyfus' story that that's famous for this movie is that uh you can watch in this movie he has a lot of nervous twitches and the main thing especially you see in this scene here he does this thing where he like stands up on his toes and he keeps like rocking up and forth on his toes with his hands in his pockets so the reason for that is because in reality, Richard Dreyfus had never done like a big movie, at least where he was the star before. And he took himself so seriously as an actor, so seriously that uh, Harrison Ford and Paul Lamatt used to look for ways to torture him, mm-hmm. uh, threatening to throw him in a pool because Richard Dreyfus was like, oh, gentlemen, we're we're on a professional film set here. Let's be serious, guys. Uh, and and that's actually really because if you've ever seen Richard Dreyfus in interviews in real life, he is like a Harrison Ford. He's like, he's got a little bit of that grumpy quality, but like he's got a real sense of humor about him. Uh, but they uh, one day decided to throw him into the pool, head first into the shallow end. <laughs> oh. Richard Dreyfus comes out with basically like a giant bump on his head and ends up with a black scene in the upcoming scene where they the, the gang kidnaps him here. So if you look, you can actually see makeup or, or you can see where the makeup covers his black eye in some of these scenes. Um, but Richard Dreyfus's nervous twitch. So a couple of days into filming, the cinematographer actually called Richard Dreyfus over and said, Richard, can you come see me for a second? He's like, yeah, yeah, sure, right? And this is Richard Dreyfuss telling the story. and He's like, then all of a sudden he starts calling the rest of the crew around. He's like, everybody, everybody, can you all come around here? Everybody gather around me, form a circle. And he's like, I'm going to do an impression of Richard Dreyfuss' acting. And then all of a sudden he just starts spasming, twitching madly. And then he he just points at Richard Dreyfuss' learn how to sit still. (laughs) Because (laughs) apparently Richard Dreyfuss' was so manic and twitchy that he was always all over the place so when you see richard dreyfus's movie always with his hands in his pocket and always like rocking back and forth that was nervous richard dreyfus not knowing what to do with his body
0: so what you're trying to say is that we now know who andrew garfield's inspiration is was in yeah Spider-Man. there
1: you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but, but it's funny because we were talking before our, uh, you just teased you want to hear us interview one of the greatest people we've ever interviewed johnny weir um, before that, uh, when we were talking about it, you had mentioned like, oh yeah, sometimes it looks like you got like worms in your pants or something like that. Uh, which is <laughs> doing uh, it right now. <laughs> if you ask anybody else who knows me, they'll say the same thing. Like I never stop moving. If I'm sitting still, sometimes I, I have to force myself if I know we're interviewing one and it's going to be like, uh, an actual like YouTube interview because I'm like, anytime I see video of myself doing these interviews, I'm always like, mo- I feel like Richard Dreyfus, you know, like, oh, I got to move jamie hates it because like i will be sitting still on the couch my legs are bouncing right like i i don't you do that thing where you have, like legs bounce up and down yeah mine do that i can't i physically can't stop them uh if, if i'm if i'm at work i choose to stand up and pace back and forth you know or whatever just for the sake of it was like i i just physically always i'm moving you know so i'm like that is my spirit animal richard <laughs> dreyfus is my spirit animal
0: <laughs> wow I love le- um, learning the inner psyche of Colin Hilding. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah,
1: always moving. Very but, Richard. By, Dreyfuss by the like. way,
0: Richard Dreyfuss was cancelled because in like 2017 he got alleged of like sexual misconduct. So uh, oh, against who? Oh, I don't know. <laughs>
1: Doesn't Bobby, matter. the girl driving in the front of the car here. I <laughs> just don't touch Suzanne people. Suzanne
0: Summers. Don't touch people. Doesn't matter. Oh, if it's that woman, he's it's like, fine. But if it's
1: she got cancelled. Meanwhile, he's he's sitting there in, in the police station saying, "But Ron Howard told me to." <laughs> 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 uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it was like uh, just a, a thing. Uh, 2017 <laughs> writer Jessica Teach. Accused drivers oh. of sexual harassment during the filming of an ABC special. Drive denied the allegations. He said he had only been overly flirtatious in the past and that he regretted his behavior, but he emphasized that he values and respects women and is not an assaulter.
1: He's amazing. I love the man. Uh, <laughs> sexual assault aside, even if he did it, he's amazing. Uh, In fact, he's more amazing if he did do it. Actually, (laughs) 1962, men molest women.
0: (laughs) Sorry, I zoned out there. I tuned back in when I heard the do it like a man molest women. Um, I thought I was the one who was meant to get it cancelled this episode. Um, (laughs) We're trying hard. We're really trying. I forgot I'd seen him in something else. Um, He was uh, Dick Cheney, if I'm not mistaken, in W uh, and was pretty good in it.
1: He did another... I don't know if he played a president, one of those, Um, maybe it was one of those miniseries, but it, it's not the first time he'd done like a politician either.
0: Uh, who hasn't done a politician. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I don't know who he well, did, Um, but <laughs> I completely forgot that he was in, and he was really good. Like, I mean, we'll go back to our vice episode where I talked up all the different actors and everything. But I think one thing that Oliver Stone did really well in that movie, which is to me, one of the most underrated movies of all time, W is that, he cast people who looked very much like the people and acted like the people.
1: Mm. Uh, I'm trying to find what the other one. I'll have he played to played Bernie Madoff.
0: Here.
1: No, it wasn't that. Um, it might've even been a fictional president. I don't know. Uh, well, Crippendorf's tribe. That's a movie. Remember that one? Can't the American president. He played Senator Bob Rumson in the American president. Which one was
0: the movie. American President? Who was in that one?
1: Michael Douglas. That was a fictional movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was that weird 90s trend of making presidential movies like Dave and Primary (laughs) Colors and, yeah.
1: And if you really want to see uh, Richard Dreyfuss where people allow him to be manic and twitchy on set, watch What About Bob with him and Bill Murray. That is like the most stressed out Richard Dreyfuss ever.
0: Well, I'm thinking because he Uh, apparently uh, did not get along with people he worked with and Oliver Stone is saying here. So apparently Robert Shaw didn't get along with him. Bill Murray didn't get along with him. And apparently didn't get along with Oliver Stone in W. So there you go.
1: I know with Robert Shaw, it's like very famously they didn't get along. Although they had kind of a similar relationship the with the Quentin, uh, um Hooper are in that movie where it's like they would suddenly just have a scene like the sharing the scars, you know, and all of a- oh, these guys kind of like each other. Um, anyway, so yeah. the So he's just getting kicked out of the car now. He's getting hooked up with the gang. They're basically threatening. I love the way that they threaten him too. They're like... Yeah, you know, we're thinking maybe we might have to tie you to the car and drag you around. And then he's trying to name drop here some guy, Toby Juarez, who's like, oh, he's one of your gang, right? He goes, yeah, we know Toby. It's like, we killed him last night. He <laughs> goes, tied him to the car. And then Richard Dreyfus finished this in and dragged them around. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, they're basically figuring out what they're going to do with them. So they just have him in the back of the car. And then they're listening to the Wolfman. This is where they actually start talking about the the, the mystique of the Wolfman. Because in the earlier scene, they were saying, Oh yeah, the Wolfman apparently he just broadcasts from a plane that circled around everywhere. Here these gang guys are saying, No, it's like a, some radio station in Mexico. Um, and uh they 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 have the thing with the T-Bird too, where again you repeat the scene where now these guys are telling a story, oh yeah, you couldn't afford her. And he's like, No, oh, there's no way that girl is a prostitute uh they end up taking him to uh this mini golf place where he says you know you're going to have to pay us back or whatever and I love Richard Dreyfus being like mini golf yeah I love mini golf and they're like really we hate it he goes well I don't play it too often <laughs> <laughs> he's changing his tune. they're saying the, the problem is we're out of gas and he goes oh well I mean you know this isn't a gas station he goes well we're also out of money so now they basically have to rob this mini golf course and I love when they go in there he's trying to break the vending machines open. And this, this guy's like, what are you hooligans doing? <laughs> and then Richard drives to me and say, like, what are you doing with these these hooligans, Richard? Because these are the guys who gave him a scholarship that he keeps saying he wants to maybe not go ahead with. Uh, they they take him to thank him for all of his hard work and give him the scholarship and all that. And this is, again, like kind of a small town where I don't know. I don't even know those guy's supposed to be. It's like a, just a club or you know small businessman's association or whatever and they just sort of sponsored a two thousand dollar scholarship for him um then i love where there's they're saying oh yeah we're all done out here basically all done robbing the place like what does he mean by that he goes he means they're all done having fun he goes oh you can have all the fun you want this place is meant for fun (laughs) (laughs) these guys all the old people these movies like again this is probably the way that like george lucas and kids in like the 50s and 60s envision adults like golly gee son quarter of 12. (laughs) all these guys are the same they all are the same to us (laughs) uh so now he's uh kind of gotten in with the gang and uh they're they're basically saying is like hey you may make a good pharaoh yet and this is the scene where it's like he definitely has the black eye if you look closely enough uh where they're saying i know what your dream is your dreams to be a pharaoh Uh, i was like but first we need to do your initiation or whatever and so They're trying to use Richard Dreyfus to prank this cop car uh, by tying, I don't know, like a a tow cable to it uh, so that the wheels will come off. But he's got to sneak up. So this is the only other sequence in the movie where no music's playing because, like, we need it to be quiet. Uh, So George Lucas kind of has said, like, it's the oddest thing they kind of work backwards in this movie because usually you use music to build tension and you have the absence of music when you don't want tension. He's like, in this movie, we have music... Start to finish, and the only two scenes that required tension, we had to have no sound at all. Um, so uh, I, I love though right when he's saying it's like you know oh we're uh, or was it this scene or it might be later on where he talks about blood initiation. Um, yeah, sure. I think that's later on. Anyways, maybe maybe it's not later on. Uh, so he uh, he basically says oh you know once once you're you're done with this we just got to give you your jacket and then there's the blood initiation oh, then you're all good boy, and then the guy just jacket. The, but then the guy just walks out and he's like, "What do you mean blood, blood uh, uh, initiation or whatever?" Uh, so he does this scene. It actually is quite a tense scene as he sneak up on the cop car and he's attaching it underneath. And then uh, they basically distract the cops. And you have like the one stunt of the movie where the cops try to speed after them and the wheels come right out from underneath it. Um, and uh, after this, they basically just decide, "Yeah, we're good friends with you now." And I, I love where he he uh, the gang leader here too basically says, uh, "Listen, Carl," and he's like, "Kurt." Kurt right sorry he's getting his name wrong uh he's saying yeah I guess we'll see you tomorrow night and he goes well gee I don't know about that he goes hey you're in with us now and I actually wonder like obviously the nicer idea of this movie is that Richard Dreyfus changes his mind and says I will go off to do this I'm not going to be like afraid I'll go off and you know live my dream or whatever be a presidential writer or whatever they say it's going to be but like in the back of my head I've always thought is this because he's afraid that he's going to be forced to join a gang now because they're <laughs> expecting him the next night? Maybe uh, he doesn't tell them, uh, and then you get him going off to try to uh, find the girl by the dedication on the radio. So he goes to this radio tower out in the middle of nowhere, finds a guy there eating a bunch of popsicles, doesn't realize who it Love is, these I mean, the popsicles. guy doesn't identify. Yeah, well, that, that's one of the fun things about this because the Wolfman Jack. I mean, this was a real guy who had been on the air for even at this point decades, right? And it was, it was one of the first like syndicated radio shows. Like, again, we didn't get it here. We've never gotten it here in Canada, but I think he was still broadcasting maybe even to the nineties. I don't know.
0: Ninety five. He died in 95. And I think he was still broadcasting to the day he died. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's a guy who just created a persona, which he might've been like the first who kind of created this persona. And they left this mystery. Exactly. Yeah. Except there's not as much mystery with us. (laughs) Isn't that right, Gerald? I mean, Colin. (laughs) Carl, Kurt, uh, whatever. Uh, but, but like that whole mystery they're talking about, like, these are the things people would talk about. Oh, I hear that he circles in a never ending airplane. Right. Um, and this movie sort of plays on that. And they weren't sure they were going to get Wolfman. George Lucas had kind of said to Francis Ford Coppola, I don't know if there's any way we could get Wolfman Jack for this movie, but I've written the script for this to be him. And Francis Ford Coppola is like, you know what? He actually called me before. And Francis Ford Coppola, remember Wolfman Jack trying to pitch him something, not for a movie, but like some TV project or something like that. And he said, like, I still got his number. So he basically calls him up. He describes the movie to him. And Wolfman Jack says, yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to do that. Like the whole idea of the scene of uh, playing on his whole persona is what he was uh, interested in doing. Uh, but th- this scene to me is one of the best dramatic scenes in the movie, even with Wolfman Jack just not being an actor. Uh, and I love his obsession with the popsicles. Like, the freezer broke down. Have a popsicle. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, no, no, actually, I'm just here for a dedication. Come on, have a popsicle. And he's like, no, no, actually, I'm not.
0: Popsicle. Suck
1: on- popsicle. Ron Howard and popsicle. That's what the Wolfman <laughs>
0: called his. Um. Yep.
1: And, and he even said they're sticky little mothers, aren't they? line <laughs> right at the end. And, yes, the popsicles are. Uh, and, and even when he basically says, "Listen, I," what there's a point where Richard Dreyfuss looks really defeated. Which Richard Dreyfuss' performance, like for a guy who basically was so down on himself, I'll explain in a second how down on himself he was, but he gives an incredible performance in this movie, especially this scene where he just looks defeated. And he's talking about having to leave for college. And the Wolfman gives him like this wise advice. He even still says, hey, have a popsicle. (laughs) (laughs) But he gives him this advice and he says, all right, so this guy's just on tape. He kind of reveals Wolfman's just a guy on tape. But then he says, I will try to get him to put this on the air tonight. Uh, I'll see what I can do. Richard Dreyfus walks out. He kind of turns around and looks through the window and sees this is the Wolfman doing a live broadcast or whatever. And he just it was the George was described as this is the Wizard of Oz scene, right? Like, don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain. Um, but Richard, so that's basically it for Richard Dreyfus for now is it, he's left a number for uh, where he could reach. Uh, so Richard Dreyfus like this isn't even a normal thing. Most people don't realize that even actors you see on TV or movies, they're on unemployment half the time because you will get paid 10, 20, $30,000 for a role. But you may not work again for six months, even a year or more. So after a certain amount of time, you go on unemployment. And that's what the entire crew of this movie was doing, uh, I- including like the other screenwriters, Willard uh, Hiking Gloria Katz, is they were in the unemployment line after before American Graffiti came out. And Richard Dreyfuss was in front of them in the unemployment line. And Richard Dreyfuss was like, hey, how's it going? You guys were the writers in that movie. And he basically starts apologizing up and down. He's like, I'm really sorry. I- I'm. I know I was terrible in that movie. And I wish I hadn't ruined your movie, but you should have gone with somebody else. Like, I, I, I'm i sorry that I wrecked that movie for you. And they're like, no, you weren't that bad. And meanwhile, the lady at the front of the line here, they're going to see for the unemployment check. It's like, you guys are talking about American Graffiti. It's like, I just saw a screening of that movie. That movie's incredible. So that was the first moment where they really realized, hey, we actually might have a hit here. Just somebody saw an advanced screening of this when they were in the unemployment line. Uh, but Richard Dreyfus at the time thought I'm never going to work again. I'm the worst actor in this movie. And meanwhile, partly because I think he was playing so much of himself, like he feels like the most natural actor in the movie to me. He's amazing.
0: And again, like what I said before, he does obviously age significantly in like two years, but, um, you know, I, he's one of those actors that I wish I had seen more of him in things because, you know, going over what I've seen him in three, four things, but he's always great. He's, he was always my favorite in Jaws. If we ever do Jaws, Uh, he was always my favorite character in Jaws. Um, So Mm -hmm. is is that a controversial opinion? Is he
1: Alan Grant?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I just just always liked his character in Jaws. And I think maybe I probably saw Jaws for the first time around when I'm watching Mr. Holland's Opus. I'm like, hey, it's Mr. Holland's Opus guy. There he is. So I just kind of always had a, a thing for him um
1: you'll never make it out of, none of them will ever make it out of the harbor alive <laughs> there's a way he delivers that line and smiles
0: <laughs> i always remember the was it mr holland's opus where the the parade scene where they find out their kid's deaf like they're just staring at him and it's like oh, yeah. dramatic because kid's not, not responding not re- i never understood that as a kid i'm like so what like he's what <laughs> and then i'm like oh he's deaf got it um, you're
1: not connecting the dots oh his dad's a composer <laughs> who was
0: the wife in mr holland's opus
1: uh, oh, I, we saw her in stuff cuz i remember i think we were covering a movie and we we're like oh wasn't she the wife in mr holland's opus um, Actually, i'll have yeah. to look that up
0: i do remember that, that conversation but um like i enjoyed like this whole sequence cuz you kind of said it's like the holy grail it's sort of the white whale like you know he's kind of on for this um you know searching for everything and uh, glenn headley mm-hmm. whoever she Have we covered is. anything she was in? She was in Dick Tracy, she knows Madonna. Oh, that's a
1: good movie. uh, Babe, Pig in the City. Uh, Who was a voice? Babe, Pig in the City. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was something else we were talking. She was on ER for nine episodes. Who was she in ER? Abby Keaton. Abby Keaton for nine episodes. That would have been like season three or season four, based on the time it was airing.
0: Fraser, Rugrats. Uh, Uh, (laughs) Fraser, nah, she died when I saw that. Um, but like I'm like I like kind of this. Because I think, again, you can connect. Well, Colin can't because he's not got normal human emotions. But most people can connect with, like, characters in this movie and get taken to a moment where, like, whether you're obsessing over a girl, let's be honest, or you're obsessing over, like, something and it's just kind of you want that and, like, kind of just that search that obviously people are having for that. So I really, really like that. And, yeah, like, as you kind of alluded to, like, I sort of... I like the... <laughs> your wife is messaging me. Um, I... <laughs>
1: Is it 13 nostalgic facts about American graffiti?
0: No, it pops up and I don't know the context. I can see she sent me a photo, but I see the words, keep Colin busy for as long as you want. Lol.
1: Uh, (laughs) Playing video games. I don't know what she's doing or who she's doing
0: upstairs right now. Wait, uh, is
1: she subscribing because you said you'd have sex with me on Patreon?
0: Um, yeah, she's playing video games. Uh, that's not the photo I was hoping. But anyway, um, I just get concerned when I see your wife messaging me. Jamie Hildy sends a photo. Keep Colin busy for as long as you want. Lol. Um, now I've lost my train of thought. Um. I like Richard Travers. I like his the 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 big turnaround at the end when it's all about him and kind of like he makes that decision. Like it's a nice little. It's not a plot twist as such, but I kind of like that element to it. And I love the radio bit. Like you're right. Like this Wolfman guy. Like I thought this was an actor. Like I didn't realize this was the mm-hmm. real Wolfman. You cannot tell that this guy is not like a, a an actor. He does a really good job and. As a radio man, I want to be there at five. And we just talk about the timing. This is all like five in the morning. You see the clock in the background. It says like yeah. 10 to five. So the Wolfman's up all night basically doing this. But again, with the times in the early 60s, like we there's a scene here, is it, is it Richard Dreyfuss when he's looking at TVs and it's like brand new TV, like get yeah. one now. So obviously that was still very new. So like the radio was this thing that people listened to. We would be famous in the 60s if we were on radio because that's who people were. So... Yeah, I I enjoy all this kind of stuff and I enjoy the 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 sort of the payoff with him when he's the one who's going to be flying away.
1: Um so I'll cover the rest of it here uh just the last stuff with the race. So basically we have uh Harrison Ford meeting up with Paula Matt for the first time. He's seeing um Laurie in the car saying, "Why don't you get out of there?" She says, "Why don't you mind your own business?" Uh they have a big uh Harrison Ford has a big thing where where she's basically saying, Okay, you're gonna let me out of the car if you're gonna race. I love that she just told Paula Mat. He says, You're not staying in there if you're if we're racing. And she says, Mind your own business. And then she turns to Harrison Ford, you're gonna let me out for racing, right? He goes, Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she just tells her to shut up. Uh uh Ron Howard hears about the race and he basically basically rushes there because he knows she's in the car. Uh, we do get the dedication played on the air for uh for Richard Dreyfus here he's the only guy who's not there present for the race and he's just waiting uh Milner and uh we learn the name Bob Falfa what a name for Harrison Ford character Bob Falfa uh but they're going to be racing uh we have uh the Toad basically saying let me ride along he says no you're not riding with me Toad so Milner says fine you can like be the guy to shine the flashlight so this was this movie filmed over the course of only like four weeks and it was almost all night shoots because there's no no interiors really other than just a couple of minor scenes. Uh, and this, they had to film this, like, this is what they call magic hour, right? Like it's that, that one part, but right before sunrise or right after sunset where you have that just very specific light. So this is basically done. Like we have to get as many cameras possible to film the race in this scene. We'll film them getting ready for the race, film the race, film the car flipping, film them getting out of the car and then film like the makeup scene between Ron Howard and Cindy Williams crazy they basically got this done in one or Maybe they had to film it over two days or something like that. Um, but the, the race goes off. And uh, this is actually the other autobiographical part about George Lucas. So when he was told, I don't know, write about your childhood or whatever, George Lucas was not very good in school. He was a terrible student. And by his own admission, he was going to fail. He was not going to graduate from high school in his senior year. And three weeks before what would have been graduation at the end of the school year, he was doing this. He was Milner racing a car. And he basically crashed into a tree and spent weeks in the hospital. Like they even show you, you can see it online even, but they even show it in the documentary, the actual newspaper clipping that says a young man named George Lucas nearly died. And it, it was like weeks in the hospital and graduation happened before he was even let out of the hospital. And all of his teachers basically had pity on him and said, we're not going to hold him back after this. Cause the kid almost died. That's what really turned his life around because he, he thought I'm going to be a mechanic. I'm going to be a race car driver. Uh, that's what he was aiming to do. He hated school and he didn't take it seriously. And then after this is when he got really into, I want to work on an education. I want to do something different. And he got into film. He became Kurt because of almost being Bob Falfa, in this scene here, uh, but I mean, the, the scene, it's exciting. I love the buildup. And it's the only time where we don't get music playing over the radio when you get that. I don't even know what that song is, but like it's been played in like every movie. Like, you know, the snapping the fingers. You know that that song? Come it's I instrumental. Come come <laughs> <on>. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> but whatever it is, like, it's the only part where you don't actually have music that's playing in the background of the movie. Um, but uh, I mean, the the... the Car wreck is pretty spectacular to look at for a low-budget movie that somebody actually allowed them to wreck this car as well. Um, and then the performances from like Cindy Williams freaking out and basically hitting Harrison Ford, Paul Lamatt coming up to his enemy and having to bring him uh off to safety. Uh, and uh you get these two really nice scenes here. You get Ron Howard and Cindy Williams making up where she's basically begging him not to go, and he says, I won't go. You've got no indication up until this point that Ron Howard's going to be the guy to stay behind. You've gotten every indication Richard Dreyfus is. Then you get the scene between um, Milner and Toad where he's saying, like, he had me beat. And he's like, I know I won the race, but he had me beat. And Toad's like, no, he you, you were beating him by a mile. Milner's like, oh, I've lost it. I'm not that guy anymore. He's already, that's his story arc. is like, I'm the guy who's now too old for this. I shouldn't be hanging out with the kids. Certainly certainly shouldn't be hanging out with the 12-year-olds or whatever. <laughs> I'm not the, the hotshot driver anymore. Uh, and then Toad basically saying, it's like, no, no, you'll, you, you're going to beat everybody. And then they just kind of have this nice moment, like where you get like the cool guy with the nerdy kid. Uh, and then you get Richard Dreyfus off by himself, falling asleep in his car. The sun's now up. And then the payphone rings. And it's Suzanne Somers uh, calling on the phone to say, I got your dedication. And he's saying, uh, oh, like, how do you even know who I am? You do know who I am. She's like, oh, everybody knows you. And it's like, OK. So So, you know, please, will you meet me? He's thinking now she says. Oh, I'll, I'll meet you tonight. You can just come find me at whatever street. And this is where it like becomes, okay, well, it's not the gang thing, obviously, because if he he could have stuck around, if, especially if he was this obsessed, obsessed with the girl after one night, he could definitely stick around. And then shock in the very next scene, it's them at the airport. Ron Howard's the one saying, uh, maybe I'll join you next semester. And Richard Dreyfus has finally decided to leave. Uh, and this is basically what George Lucas says is like the running theme in all of his movies. Like, even going back to THX 1138, it's about a character in this world like this futuristic world where everything's controlled deciding I'm going to be daring and I'm going to kind of try to leave this security and and be the guy to break this control you know Star Wars is about Luke Skywalker the the safety of Tatooine having to go off and save the galaxy Willow it's the exact same thing with Warwick Davis Indiana Jones I guess would be the one exception to that but um this theme about like okay I'm going to go off and do this this was George Lucas deciding I'm going to leave Modesto, California and become a, f- a famous director, even though it should be impossible for me to do that. Uh, I love the goodbye between Toad and uh, Richard Dreyfus, where he's just like, don't uh, do not do anything I wouldn't do. <laughs> you come up with nothing better to say than that. Uh, and then the big thing, which uh, when the movie ends, and this is controversial for different reasons, you might think, uh, when the plane's taking off and he looks down and he sees Suzanne Somers' car driving off and he just kind of smiles... Uh, you get that those yearbook pictures coming up on screen that gives you what happened to all the characters. And you find out that uh, Milner was killed by a drunk driver like two years later. Uh, Toad was mis- reported missing in action in Vietnam. Um, uh, what's his name? The, the character, uh, who cares? Ron Howard, the guy who touches people. The guy who t- Ron Howard <laughs> just became an insurance salesman. I hope somebody in Modesto, tunes into the California. podcast
0: at that exact moment. No, who cares? Ron t- Howard, the guy Ron who touches, touches people.
1: people. Uh, He became an insurance salesman in Modesto, California, and that Kurt is a writer living in Canada. And all those are significant because I think with the Milner and the Toad thing, this is a movie, again, about the end of an era. It's like this was the last of all this stuff really happening before everything with music, culture change. You had Vietnam coming in. You had regular people just getting angry at everything in life. Uh, And you basically have these sad endings for the characters. So you're like, oh, this is about more than just these kids, one fun night for these kids. This is sort of about like, well, it's literally over for some of these guys. But particularly interesting is that Ron Howard becomes an insurance salesman in Modesto, California. So before George Lucas was, went decided to go to film school, in fact, even when he, he almost died and tried to say, I'm going to take my life seriously, his dad owned a stationery store and basically was trying to get George Lucas to take over his store as a salesman. And they lived in Modesto, California. So this is almost like George Lucas saying, I could have ended up as Ron Howard hmm. as a salesman in Modesto, California, but instead I'm the writer, not living in Canada, but the guy who went off to become a writer or whatever. So those two characters really are paralleling. This could have been me and this could be me. And it's in a way talking down to Ron Howard's, you know, of the movie. What I actually like about this ending is like, even though he says, Oh, I'll see you next year. It's like, yeah, Ron Howard's probably still going to die happy. I mean, neither of us ended up as Olympians or, you yes. know, film directors or any of the other things yes. that we, we wanted to be. Yeah. yet. Uh, but, I mean, we we still live happy lives, right? We, we're we Steve's. We're Ron Howard's. We touch people. Speak for yourself. Um, <laughs> just, just let that sit. Um,
0: yeah, I felt like, before I get to the ending, I mean, I, the the car chase bit, the grease, uh, like, <laughs> just, I mean, I don't want to sit here and criticize a movie made in the 70s because this obviously would be done so differently today. But it, it feels a bit, I don't know if it feels flat because, like, the car crashes, rolls over, explodes – And everyone's just like, oh, you okay, okay. And then just move on. And it's just
1: like... (laughs) It happens every day. 60s. Right, yeah. Yeah, 1962, the end of an era. (laughs) Although the
0: one thing that I I thought that um, What's the Face wasn't in the car anymore when it crashed, because if you watch that scene, you only see like one body in the car. So when I saw it flip, I'm like, oh, she must have gotten out. This is going to be the plot twist. She wasn't really in the car or something like that. But then you see her get out of the car. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, I like the bit when... Yeah, she calls the payphone, and like, I I I know payphones. Like again, there's another relic of the past. They some do exist, although I don't know about in Canada. But I think most payphones here have been turned into like little booths for Wi-Fi. So like, they still kind of have a phone, but you can go to like a payphone booth and basically get free Wi-Fi. Like if you if you run out of hmm. internet and you need to call someone, that's kind of what payphones are in Australia now. Um, but yeah, like I I I, I kind of. Wonder could you readily give out a payphone phone number to ring like back then? But um
1: I remember trying like again, this would have been decades after *American Graffiti takes place, but I remember trying as a kid because you would have the phone numbers listed on pay phones where it would say, It is six six three one nine eight seven or whatever. I just gave away somebody's number. I don't know what that is. Call it. Uh, but, call it now. Uh, <laughs> but each payphone would have a number listed what his number is. And I remember one time us being like, I've got a quarter. I'll call your payphone. And we tried calling, but the calls would not go through. But again, mm. it may have been different in 1962. No, because I remember seeing a
0: documentary or something. Maybe it was around the time that um Phone Booth came out or something. And it was maybe on the making of or something. But they were like saying, like, yeah, this is a thing. People don't like, people think this is a movie thing that you can ring a payphone. But like, no, payphones actually have numbers, and you can actually call payphones. So, you know, great movie, phone booth. Surely we've got to do that one day with the, <laughs> the key for love. Um, but Yeah, like, the thing about the ending of this film is, like, I had to double take. Because I then, when these things came up at the end, I thought, like, oh, is this a true story? Because, like, generally this is a a trope of a true story film, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, a biopic or something like that. It's this person, this person, this person. So, it's kind of a bit jarring that they do this in a fictional movie. But, obviously, with some truth to it, I guess. But, like, I don't know, like... I I, at the time I was like do I like that ending but now kind of like it's kind of just like a it's a simple like straight to the point and you're kind of like oh that's a bit sad but then again it's back to what you're saying about you never know when it's going to be your last time doing this your last time doing that and that's when we always have those fond connections of I'm sure you had a decent childhood Colin I don't know but like I'm sure like you know you had high school memories and that where it's kind of you you do (laughs) get off the car (laughs) mum. um (laughs) I forgot you didn't have life in LaSalle, Manitoba. <laughs> but for most of us, normal human beings with normal human emotions and friends, when I used to have them, it's kind of like you have those memories of, you know, you you all we all think we know everything as a teenager. That's one thing that yeah. I think comes with age, this whole wisdom thing, is when you get to a certain point and you interact with a teenager, be it legally or illegally, that there is always a point that you realize my parents were right. I didn't know anything because this teenager is a little shit. And I understand where they were coming from. So that's where like you are back in that period and you don't think about things like this could be my last drive, this, that, everything. So I think this ending kind of adds a little element to that where it's like, if you were killed two years after high school, like you didn't lead a life, you know, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. If you're killed in Vietnam, if you're being an insurance agent in Modesto, California, often compared to dying in, in Vietnam, um, yeah so it's kind of like i I kind of like the way it sort of ends and kind of gives you that moment to sort of reflect a little bit on it but um yeah
1: rip yeah well
0: terry and john so
1: (laughs) trivia about this movie after the fact so they, they they finish this movie now george lucas is basically because they're shooting at night he's basically editing this movie while they're still filming now they're only filming for four weeks and the famous story is that they finished the 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 wrap party when the movie finishes filming. George Lucas has got about 15 to 20 minutes of this movie already edited together and assembled that he's been working on during the days to show the the, the whole crew. He shows it. Nobody understands that like, this is so different. Cause again, like a movie like this had never been done before, you know? Uh, and everybody's just sort of like not mortified, but like, Oh, okay. Well that's different than I expected to be. Oh, well, I don't know if I'm going to be getting a job after this. And, Famously, Harrison Ford breaks out into applause and starts screaming, "That's a hit!" Uh, but he was also extremely intoxicated at the time, so it's sort of like, was he mocking it or was he legitimately the one guy who believed in this he movie? You don't know. That's a fucking <laughs> hit, God! <laughs> <laughs> I think mean, there's a reason George Lucas got him work as a carpenter again after this and fought to not have him in Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Uh, but uh, basically, the studio uh, sees this movie. And uh, now once it's finally finished and assembled, they do a test screening and the studio, one of the studio executives is there at this test screening and uh, they got a full audience and the response is enormous. There's people applauding, standing ovation, people are going nuts. The studio executive walks out, goes to Coppola says, wow, like we got a lot of work, do. So this movie is a mess. And Coppola is like taken aback. George Lucas is basically looking defeated like, this is my second movie in a row that the studio hates, I'm never gonna work again, whatever. Uh, And the studio executive is just ripping into George Lucas like, you wasted our money, you know, we we can't do this. is $750,000, almost a million dollars or whatever. Coppola basically, and I love to say this is just Coppola's telling the story, but like this is one of these things where there are people who have told the story, like people who are present. I was at that test screen and I saw this happen. And then it was eventually uh, later confirmed and written about books. Uh, Coppola starts screaming at the studio executive. Saying is like you should be on your knees right now, thanking this man for saving your job because this is going to be the one of the biggest hits your studio ever has. You don't want this movie. You're so worried about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. He pulls out his checkbook. Said, "I will write you a check for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars right now." Wow! And he he the guy basically, says, oh, let's not carried away here, right? It eventually leads them saying, "We want to cut these three scenes," which is why George Lucas has it written in Star Wars. Later on, he has complete control, like uh, I have the option for this, this and this. Uh, but the studio is still basically saying, we don't know what to do with this movie. They're thinking about releasing it as a TV film. Uh, George Lucas doesn't want it as a TV film. He he, he believes that like, as he said, I like this movie. I thought some other people would like this movie. It's just the studio didn't like it. Uh, so every time somebody from the studio would ask to see this movie, because sometimes you're gonna have a personal marketing. Can we see that American Graffiti movie? We gotta figure out whether we wanna invest anything in this every time an executive did, every time, you know, a secretary asked to see this movie, they would make sure they'd arrange the screening and invite at least 100 people so you packed that theater because they didn't ever want these people who didn't get the movie to not see the experience of everybody who loved it. And basically that convinced the student, they're like, okay, they did this enough times, like we don't get it, but like every time we show this movie, it's testing through the roof, which is how Richard Dreyfus in the unemployment line happened to somebody saying, I saw that American Graffiti movie. This movie builds up a buzz before it even comes out just through word of mouth, which the word of mouth only existed because they had to make sure they didn't air this on dump it on TV. Hmm. So they had to make sure that they screened it. for So tons of people saw this before it even came out. And in the end, it doesn't even affect the box office or anything. But uh, uh, I mean, that's like your classic, we are going to do a word of mouth campaign for a movie, but they didn't even intentionally do it. Um, I'll just talk about the box office really quickly here. I mean, this movie goes on become the third biggest hit of 1973, which is saying a lot because the top two movies that year were The Exorcist and The Sting, which at the time, I believe, were among the highest grossing films of all time. American Graffiti makes over $100, over $100 million. I think it's $140 million is what its final gross is today, which putting that into adjusted grosses, I believe still has it in the top 50, for adjusted grosses, top 50 highest grossing films in history. Hmm. So if you're looking at just the amount of people who paid to see this, it's still one of the 50 highest grossing films of all time, which is just insane.
0: And it made $889 worldwide. So, um. $889? <laughs> yeah, according to, to Box Office Mojo.
1: I mean, it's. it's... Oh, yeah, well, they predate, yeah, because Box Office Mojo, I think, only goes back to, like, 1980 or something like that.
0: Which, I mean, I'm seeing here with the Oscars. So as I said before, I didn't realize this got nominated for Best Pitch. I didn't realize The Exorcist got nominated for Best Picture. That shows how little I know about uh, horror films. But um, I can't say I've ever seen The Sting. Is it, is it a good film?
1: Oh, it also made my top 50 favourite films.
0: No, oh, I thought it was just a movie on Sting. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> When are they doing the biopic on Sting? <laughs> I've seen Sting live. He was uh, the headline act at the AFL Grand Final I went to. He performed two songs and buggered off. I'm like, oh, thanks, Sting. Uh, <laughs> I was sandwiched in between Brian Adams one year and The Killers the year after. I got stuck with Sting. So no disrespect to Sting, uh, he's got a couple of good songs and The Police, why not? But anyway, um, but, yeah, I didn't realise that this is sort of one of those films that got those accolades to it, which is this, I mean, looking here at the other best pictures, so Cries and Whispers, The Exorcist and A Touch of Class, you you, obviously are a fan of The Sting, um, but would you rate this as it should have had a shot at winning or was The Sting always winning in 19... 74 uh
1: well i mean the exorcist and the sting were like i mean those were the movies the studio sunk everything behind i i love american graffiti if, if i'm picking which movie i would rather watch it would be american graffiti which movie is more well made i mean The Sting is th- there's something about the movie the sting where it's like well that's that's way ahead of its time like that's the type of oceans 11 style movie that you would make now but you certainly didn't make in the 70s i mean it, it's a tough year though because you look at that competition um, I mean, American Feedy probably never had a shot at winning Best Picture, but the fact that this movie made... Teenage films. like Teenage films were like dopey comedies. And now a movie... Can you imagine that now? If there was a teen comedy American that got a for Best Picture... <laughs> um, if American Pie got nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Editing, and Best Supporting Actress, American Pie? like You'd be like, no, that would never happen.
0: This is the thing, though, isn't it, with a lot of these films, which obviously this was appreciated in time. And I'm not saying American Pie is in it. It's not a Best Picture award nominee you know contender but i think Mm -hmm. in hindsight now that we're what 20 years removed from american pie everyone talks that up as like a an important coming of age and it is like it really is american pie is a much better like it's a gross out comedy but like if you actually look at the heart of american pie it's a very solidly done film and a very good film um Mm -hmm. but yeah no you're right i think that's that's a very good point with that and i think it's also that case of People rip on George Lucas so much because of the prequels and all this kind of stuff. I mean, in all seriousness, Star Wars is often a film that I do forget was nominated for Best Picture, and I think that we've talked about that recently about you know Raiders and all that kind of stuff. Like, were they ahead of their time? A film at that point is never going to win an Oscar for Best Picture, but yeah, that's a that's a great one because I mean, this is a it's probably a dumb question, but Greece obviously wasn't nominated for Best Picture, right? Like, because Greece I know is beloved, no. but was that that was a few years after this, wasn't that Greece. So yeah um
1: yeah well i the group the greece mu- i think the greece musical came out the same year but the movie was yeah like five years after this
0: yeah i mean it's just it's it's fascinating kind of just seeing everything with that but um it is a, it is a bucket list thing for me to go back and watch every best picture winner i don't think i'll ever go through and watch every like nominee but um because you, you did that didn't you you went back and watched yeah, every best watched picture winner, right yeah including titanic good job
1: oh well i'd seen that before Uh, I'm going to before we move on past because the stuff kind of tied in the box. Before we do the other things here, I want to read some of Jamie's contributions here. (sighs) This one is something most of these I kind of knew before. And like some of them I've already talked about. But like George Lucas made the movie partially out of spite. Now, George Lucas's wife, Marsha Lucas, was nominated for an Oscar for this movie for editing it. Uh, They, of course, divorced during Return of the Jedi. She rarely talks about it. I mean, he doesn't talk about it much either. But uh, uh, basically, she was telling him about THX 1138 saying, that movie didn't involve the audience emotionally. It wasn't an emotion. The movie's designed to be emotionless. It's about kind of not having emotions. And then he was saying, well, emotionally. (laughs) Exactly. That's why I love that movie. But George Lucas, apparently, this is her quoting. He said, George basically said, emotionally involving the audience is easy. Anybody could do it blindfolded. Get a little kitten and have some guy wring its neck. Uh, So basically he said, I'm going to show you how easy it is. I'll make a film that emotionally involves the audience. So he partially made this because his wife was telling him, you got to emotionally involve the audience. And he's like, anybody can do that. So he's like, I could even do that. I, I'm George Lucas is not an emotional man. And he's like, I could do it. Uh, that's- he, he really
0: does have one look, doesn't he? He like facial expression. Exactly.
1: He's very much like Zoolander. <laughs> one look,
0: one look, I'll show you. Like I, I swear I've never seen George Lucas not have that one facial expression. Everyone's picturing it yeah, right exactly. now. You are picturing what George Lucas looks like. His face has not moved in like 50 years. <laughs>
1: You just get a little bit scruffy of a beard and a little bit more gray. That's the only difference. Yep. Um, the, the fact that this movie was saved by uh, uh, saved from being a TV movie by The Godfather, that's partially true. It's actually more to do with Francis Ford Coppola, the power he had. Uh, it's Happy Days having no connection to American Graffiti, yeah, because I said Happy Days kind of film first. The studio wants to change the title. This is actually kind of fun. Nobody understood. And th- th- I thought this was because they thought, well, like you did, there's no graffiti in this movie, right? <laughs> but apparently <laughs> the studio... Was saying people are going to think the movie's about feet because I guess the word graffiti was what confused people back in 1973. Like, what what is graffiti? Like, people didn't understand what graffiti was. But even Coppola, Coppola basically admits, like, I was wrong with this. George Lucas was 100 on that the title of American Graffiti what, would can, work. Can I ask what
0: is the what 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 is that meant to signify? American Graffiti
1: i i i don't even know it's just it sounds good it, it's it's american you know graffiti is i don't know it, it's just one of these things where it's like what does the title mean who cares it fits the movie right but does uh, it though i know there's americans well, here's, in this movie but there's no graffiti so like doesn't like, fit the movie is, this is where you don't want to necessarily have a title that fits the movie because francis Ford coppola said change the title given to universal change the title francis Ford coppola said you should just call the movie rock around the block that was what Coppola wanted to call this movie. Can you imagine this movie being taken seriously called Rock Around the Block? But but
0: I'm a very literal person, Colin. You know, I like a movie like a snake's <laughs> on a plane. I know what I'm going to get. There are snakes on a plane. Like I'm watching this guy and there's Americans in this graffiti. Bring it. <laughs> I, I'm sure when we do how to make an American quilt, there'll be an American in it. There'll be a quilt and there'll be somebody going, hey, Jenny, this is how you do it. How do you
1: make it? <laughs> uh, Dr. Quinn, medicine me. <laughs> woman. There was a woman called Dr. Quinn and she did medicine. All right. <laughs> uh lucas's co-screeners didn't like the ending yeah there was a lot of objections to having these things because they thought it's a downer but like that is the point of the movie you need to have those and it actually lended itself well to the sequel more american graffiti which uh had almost all the cast back but mostly in smaller roles like ron howard was in like two scenes it was mostly cindy williams who carried her plot uh Milner, the main thing is the miller and toad stories in more american graffiti you know how they both it says they both died in December. So the concept of more American Graffiti is that you have four simultaneous stories all taking place in different years. So it's not technically simultaneous, but it's like 1964 New Year's Eve. Then you have 1965 New Year's Eve, 66 and 67, all involving the same characters from the first movie. Um, but you'll see at the end of this movie where it says Milner died in December of 1964. His story basically ends with him driving down the road and you see a car in the distance. You're like, oh, wait, that's what it is. So do they all uh, come to- back for the sequel? Everybody but Richard Dreyfuss. Uh, but the leads in that movie, like Ron Howard was a small role in that, you know, Harrison Ford is in it yeah. as the same character, but he plays a cop where you're like, oh, this guy became a cop. That's kind of the joke. Um, but uh, I, Milner gets like star billing in his story. Toad gets star billing. The other two, they decided to make the female character. So you basically have uh, the 12 year old girl who's now a I don't know, like 17 year old girl and Candy Clark, like Debbie's characters. And they're basically in a hippie segment. And then you get kind of a woman's rights segment, which is like New Year's Eve, 1966, which is like Laurie, And you get like one scene with Ron Howard. and They basically say, hey, Kurt just called from Canada. Uh, But like, it's basically one of these things where I feel like the Milner and the Toad stories kind of work, because Toad story is like a Vietnam thing, which explains why he's missing in action, right? Um, It's one of these things like, it's an unnecessary sequel. This is why George Lucas insisted on rights to all the Star Wars sequels is because after American Feeding came out, they the studio said, we have the rights to sequels. We'll make this movie with you or without you. And George Lucas said, well, if you're going to make it, I'd rather have some involvement. So he basically came up with a loose idea for the more movie, produced it, and handed it off to somebody else to make. It's not a great movie, but it's not a terrible movie either. Did, I, um, can I
0: kind of this? Did we know that, or did you know that apparently the yellow air that Anakin and Obi-Wan has in Attack of the Clones based on is based on Filner's the... Milner's car, yeah. Yeah, there you go.
1: Uh, Wolfman Jack was a holdover. For, George Lucas had the idea of making a documentary on Wolfman Jack, so he was basically uh, going. Now, this one's really interesting because I actually thought about this idea. Uh, Suzanne Summer's character, the original concept of the movie was that she wouldn't be real. You would find out this is just, the way it would be filmed would, like, you would never see a girl. He would uh, say things like, she's smells she loved me, and it would all be kind of in his imagination in the end. Now, that wouldn't work in this movie, but I'm like, because nobody else saw this happen, you got to wonder, is this a guy who just oh she looked at me she must have loved me or something like that like that that would be kind of interesting they did it. um the producer had to become Mackenzie phillips legal guardian because she was only 12 when they filmed this movie uh the production was kicked out of town after one day of shooting i mentioned that one soundtrack sold three million copies elvis isn't on the soundtrack because uh, it was with a different label that's obvious and harrison ford only agreed to be in the movie if he didn't have to cut his hair um so so, that's everything jamie
0: told you is that what the point of that was
1: uh, well, I mean, most of the, st- the stuff that I gelled over there is the stuff that I had already talked about. But some of the, like, I, the Suzanne some Summer things, I'm like, that's kind of crazy. Uh, anyways, let's get into our closing segments here. Uh, so, plot keywords. Um, the obvious ones here, street racing month, drag racing month, blonde month, uh, yellow panties. That's very specific. Yellow panties. Are there yellow panties in this movie? Somebody watches this Where movie there- very closely, apparently. Where are there even panties? Uh... We have Bodies, 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 American Graffiti, 16 Candles and porkies. There's another Canadian one. Uh, um, Love Triangle Month. Scantily Clad Female Month. Punched twist in the Face Month. Twist the
0: Dance Month. Um, <laughs> yeah. What happened, to awakening? Ep- what happened to Epilogue Month? That's a mouthful. Um, featuring Reality, Goodfellas, Tombstone, and Unbroken. Oh, on Schindler's List, number I'm, five. When are we doing Schindler's List, Colin?
1: Uh, tons of laughs in that one. I'm trying to, I am finally got to the very, very bottom here. That, that, that was the very, very bottom. Oh, it's, you got it. Yeah. There we go. Dandruff. What, what
0: about Dandruff Month?
1: Dandruff Month?
0: Dandruff Month, featuring The Breakfast Club, American Graffiti, Madagascar, and Waiting. <laughs>
1: uh, so uh, what are we going to do? One-star reviews, uh, reviews? There's only like well, seven. It, I mean, we won't go through all the reviews. Of this but This movie got great reviews. It got nominated for Oscars. Uh, we'll we'll go to we'll the one-star reviews here because I, I found one that's actually really good here. Uh, absolutely despicable is the review. Let me, so this was written by Demafaro. Demi, Demafaro? I don't know how to Not pronounce that. Uh, let me start off by saying, stop casting adults as teenagers. <laughs> uh, this movie didn't really. Most of the actors were kind of older teenagers and you legally kind of have to. Otherwise, you have to become their legal guardian. So there we go. Everything about this movie sucked. It was hard to follow, boring. The events didn't connect at all whatsoever. The ending was anticlimactic. Who cares about cars, etc., etc.? Uh, If I could rate this a 0.5 out of 10, I would. And 0.5 would only be because young Harrison Ford was pretty cute, except for the dumb cowboy hat. The couples in the movie are so irritating. Lori or whatever her name is gets upset because her boyfriend wants to bleep other women while he's away. She's upset. She tries to get what the dude Ford plays. He crashes. Then she starts crying. Please don't leave me into her boyfriend's arm. This insane lady gets the nerd drunk and does the whole I accept you as who you are trope when she finds out who do- he doesn't drive a car. First of all, these only became tropes because of American Graffiti. This is like <laughs> the original. Um, the events seem very disjointed. The overall movie, there was no consistency or theme. You're literally listing the point of the movie. The only way I would watch this... This is, this is would be what Jamie's right would be. The only way I would watch this again is with approximately 2,000 calories worth of snacks mixed with hardcore procrastination from something equally as bad, doubtful as this movie. It has its funny moments, but overall, no. Well, I'm just
0: going to take this a step further with Dimaf- Dimafaro. So they have reviewed 13 films. So uh, Captain Phillips. Exciting movie. Miracle. It's a miracle I got through this. Apollo 13. Pretty boring, but not American Graffiti boring. <laughs> Remember the Titans. Good movie. Marshall. Awesome movie. West Side Story, the 1961 version, by the way. Worse than walking through hell on a tightrope with shoes that have Legos glued to the inside of them bad. That's actually a, um, a review on our show, by the way. Uh, Selma. Excellent movie. Hidden Figures. Amazing and beautiful movie. 13 days. Okay, there's a lot more of these than I thought there were. Uh, The point is, uh, (laughs) Back to the Future, the only valid time travel movie. (laughs) What? Uh, Clearly they're a time traveler. They they know how it works. Seriously, worse than walking through hell on a tightrope with shoes that have Legos glued. Can we rename our show that?
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to worse (laughs) than walking through hell on
0: a tightrope with shoes that have Legos glued on the inside of
1: them. Just add it to after the uh more followers than Paula Matt.
0: Profile. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> when we do our re- when um, we do our reintroduction next year, like da 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 da, here's Colony Hilding. <laughs> da da, 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 da.
1: You know, I actually think we would have done this in under two hours if we didn't have so many best of clips. Curse us for being so funny We're this had week. A long <laughs>
0: morning. I tell you what, like this is yeah. Long like, really to night for me.
1: It I I had dinner in between our recording sessions. I here. I had two coffees. Uh, I haven't eaten lunch. I haven't showered. I stink. Well then, Ben, let me ask you a question because you already know I bought this movie. I ranked in my top fifty of all time. What are you going to do with it?
0: Honestly, I came into this episode thinking it would be a a solid or a high rent. It was like a you know I enjoyed it, but would I ever watch it again? It didn't blow me away. I was kind of all like, yeah, okay, like fine, that was good, but. Honestly, like now that I've had, say, what, like 12 hours to digest it, I can talk it out with you, I can flick through it. It it honestly got better, so I'm going to buy it. I mean, yes. I mean this is going to be the lowest of the four, clearly, because like, and I'm assuming this will be the best of your four because I think the opposite ends of the spectrum, this is in your top 50 and the next three are in my top 50. So mm. uh, this is going to be bottom four for obvious reasons just because I have the three movies that I absolutely love the shit out of next couple of weeks, but... Yeah, I, I solid movie, and actually, now that you th- now that we talk about it, now that we go over a thing, it's probably something that maybe I I would go back and rewatch because I think I would appreciate it more. Because sometimes you do like when you know what's happening in a film, you can take it a different way. So, yeah, yeah no, it's a buy from me. I, I you you took me over the line. You took the words right out of my right mouth, of my mouth. <laughs> and you made me go and buy
1: American
0: Graffiti.
1: That's the second best rendition of a meatloaf song I've heard today on a podcast. Um, it is. We got Johnny to Weir
0: <laughs> to sing. I yeah, would they're... do anything for love, but I won't do that. Wow.
1: If, if you want to tune into our prestige podcast, you will hear Johnny Weir singing meatloaf. So uh, Johnny Weir so won't come on this show because this show hasn't
0: won an award. Off the podium <laughs> exactly. has. We so. just
1: accuse people like Ron Howard and Pedro Pascal of being pedos. Uh, <laughs> anyways.
0: And if they uh, were, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs>
1: Speaking of next week, uh, one of the movies in your top uh, fifty, and the next two weeks are going to be two movies that, like, were probably just outside my top fifty. At least would have made a top hundred for me. But next week we get Pierce Brosnan starring in Mrs. Doubtfire, (laughs) also starring Robin Williams and and Sally Field. Can I just and Matthew Lawrence. (laughs) Well, yeah, the kids. But, like, I just want to talk
0: – out, I don't know if I've ever talked about my weird love of Sally Field. Like, I love this woman. Like, I've never seen The is Flying Is she a Richard Dreyfuss? Maybe. But, like, honestly, like, because this is a weird thing, but, like, I'd watched Mrs. Doubtfire so many times, and I'll touch on that in a moment. But when she was cast in ER, which, like, let's be honest, that was a big fucking deal for a mid to late 90s to get Sally Field – starring in a network tv show nowadays it's you know fucking is meryl street but this week's guest yeah. on blue bloods like blue it's, bloods it's whatever like <laughs> it's just, there we are meryl but like seriously that that was so heavily promoted she won like you know when you just kind of get a big name in a tv show and they're always going to default win the guest emmy because they're you know meryl yeah. street right
1: like she alan arkin she, rest rest in peace. rest in peace
0: at the time Ricky died in the last day or so um she earned that. Like, if, if you remember Sally Field. She played uh, Moratini's mum in that. And she was, like, bipolar and just... She was brilliant. Anyway.
1: Oh, yeah. As soon as she said bipolar, I'm like, how I remember that? Yeah,
0: like, she was so, so goddamn good. So I love Sally Field. But, I mean, Robin Williams, rest in peace. Like, there's not a person on the planet who doesn't love Robin Williams. Like, seriously, that man is just an icon and we can... We'll do Robin Williams Month one year, surely, because he's got so many films you can pick from. But... Pierce Brosnan like I think I've mentioned this story before I always get confused whether it's Pierce Brosnan or David Duchovny in this because it's this and Beethoven I know one of them's in each of them right so like I always think maybe it's Pierce Brosnan in Beethoven and David Duchovny's in in uh, Mrs. Doubtfire but I mean Pierce Brosnan's so good in this film so much did I love this film as a kid that I faked having a pepper allergy because I wanted to be Pierce Brosnan, <laughs> we will talk about that next week. I am not kidding. For years, I would say I was allergic to pepper because I wanted to be Pierce Brosnan. Even before I had ever seen a James Bond movie, that's how much that man had affected me as a child. But I mean, it's I. It was like one of these movies. We'll talk about it more next week. But like, you'd get your weekly rentals from your local video store in the school holidays, and it was just—I swear—every year you'd always get it. Like, it was there, Mm -hmm. and it was on TV. Like, it's just such a good movie. I've been to the house in San Francisco that they filmed this at. Did they have a pony? They didn't. I was disappointed. Um, But the the beauty about Mrs. Doubtfire, and I'm so glad that now, 30 years on, this is a beloved... Because I feel like a lot of movies in the 90s at the time were released, and sure, they were liked, but everyone was like, oh, that's just a dumb comedy, right? This movie has a lot of fucking drama to it. This movie in 2023, could have been nominated for Best Picture. I mean, yeah, fucking Tootsie was nominated, as we discovered recently, right? Like, that's sort of it was always fair. And even, like, you know, some people might question the whole, like, man and woman thing, like, nowadays, and it doesn't hold up. But I feel I've watched this in the last couple of years, and I don't think there's really anything in this film that you would say is dated on that level of things either. No. there. I nearly did go see the Broadway show when I was in New York. I, I don't know if it's any good or not, but I, uh, I'm so... Like, the next three weeks... You haven't shut up this episode, Colin. I'm not going to shut up. For I'm hosting <laughs> next week. Thank God I'm not hosting the Truman Show. But then we get the Formula One episode, oh. which that's going to be fun. But I, I love, 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 love Mrs. Doubtfire. And I'm so glad that we're going to be doing it.
1: Uh, yeah, so as Ben said, we've got the Truman Show in Russia after that uh, as well. By the time you're listening to this, we probably, I don't know if it's been released yet, but we at least have decided we're covering um, The Amazing Race Canada and uh, I'm on. 24 as well. Ben's not on it. I mean, maybe he is. I don't know. No, oh, I just come in there to spoil Listeners it, it for Jared.
0: Gerald <laughs> <Jared> won. Jared hasn't <laughs> gotten no, over that like what five years later. Get over it, Jared.
1: Um, but uh, it's going to uh, be a packed month because we also got Mission Impossible, which will be a best of Mission Impossible episode coming out uh, probably. What what date is this air? This air is on the
0: this Thursday, Colin. So like the
1: Thursday,
0: fifth, so. 5th, so 6th. Yeah.
1: Ooh, so so probably Ooh. within a day or two after this, w- within a day or two, you'll hear the best of the Mission Impossible movie, uh, or at least the first five recaps we got, uh, and then whatever else you have to do, and then uh, listen to the end of this episode to figure out how to follow us, uh, or how to stop following us and follow Paula Matt, whichever you want to do, whichever everyone's going to make me happy. I keep
0: looking at Twitter <laughs> to see if he's online right now. It's probably a little bit late for elderly Paul Matt, but um, he hasn't replied. He might not ever reply, but oh well.
1: And give Paula Matt a follow, because yeah. for me do it for colin i mean honestly colin, colin needs
0: it. this do it do it for colin i mean in all honesty he's at he's at four thousand nine hundred and fifty-eight. so and he needs what like 42 more to get to fucking
1: help get hashtag get
0: paul at to five thousand. hey do, have you followed him yet yeah
1: i did oh there we go now he only he's 41 yeah <laughs> if, if everybody listening this episode follows him he'll only need 36 <laughs> <That's> <laughs> stretching it a bit i wish we had right that there. many listeners <laughs> uh anyways yes follow paul lamad and then listen to the rs of armand uh my name is colin and ron howard touched me and
0: my name is Ben and oh golly gee he touched me too thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts Spotify Stitcher Google Podcasts or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider and while you're there please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback you can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following